Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel with Marcus Parks. Hi, hi. So exciting news. We're getting some, what do we call it? Advertising, not, right? Not products. Not products. <laughs> uh, but we are going to get some advertising. And in order to help us out, it would be awesome if you could click the link uh, in the description of this episode. Fill out a little survey so we know what we so we know what you want, uh, so the advertisements uh, can actually be worthwhile and not drive you completely insane. And the information is confidential. We don't take emails or names or anything. You're not going to get on any kind of weird list or anything like that. Yeah. It just helps us out. Awesome. Thank you all so much. Hail yourselves and enjoy this episode. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel here with you. Uh, I had a chance to do some serious XM Channel 450 Fox News Radio last week. So uh, Mary, our amazing producer, uh, she edited uh, edited together uh, all six hours uh, of that show. So uh, please enjoy this kind of, I guess it's a bonus yeah. uh, for this week. So enjoy this show. Thanks so much for listening. Hail yourselves. Yo, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here with you. Hope you're having a fine Wednesday. Uh, we got a lot of stuff to get to today. We're going to talk about the Pennsylvania special election in the 18th district. It looks like Connor Lamb is going to pull off a nail-biter uh, against Republican Rick Saccone, but we don't quite have enough yet to call that officially, but perhaps we'll get that information to you a little bit later on in the show. We're also going to talk about the passing of Stephen Hawking. Uh, 76 years old. I mean, the guy was uh, given a couple of years to live tops. And uh, 55 years later, uh, we're talking about his passing in the year 2018. Phenomenal life. We'll get to that. But first, we're going to start with this national school walkout. Thousands of kids walked out of school today to protest gun violence, specifically in schools. And, you know, there's a lot uh, to discuss here and a lot to get to. Obviously, we don't want to have a situation where young people are used as political pawns uh, by adults to pass political policies that they align with. At the same time, I am encouraged to see kids getting involved. You know, when I was growing up, if I skipped school, it wasn't to protest anything. It was to go behind the shed, behind the football field, Smoke a joint and get drunk. So at least the kids are doing something with their lives. 877-367-2526. 877-367-2526. I want to hear your thoughts on the children, on the kids walking out. 
One of the things I do want to call out here, a little hypocrisy from the right. You know what I do here on this show. Where it's a moderate show, it's a rational show, and we call out both sides as we see it. A lot of these folks saying these 17, 18-year-old kids on the right shouldn't have an opinion, or their opinion doesn't matter. If you don't believe a 17-year-old or an 18-year-old can have a rational adult opinion on guns, then you also should not agree with them, them being able to buy guns. That's where it's a sticking point for me that I've never fully understood the argument coming from the individuals, from mostly from the NRA, which don't represent the vast majority of gun owner, uh, owners in this country. I think they've actually done a great disservice to the vast owners of guns in this country trying to brand uh, those individuals in the same light as the NRA. There's only 5 million folks in the NRA. It's a lobbying group. They get a lot of money from the Russians, by the way. So I think that it is a rational idea to raise the age from 18 to 21, something that the uh, House bill did not do, by the way. They basically uh, passed a bill. It's called the Stop School Violence Act. It was passed 407 to 10. And this is basically banning bump stocks, uh, increasing background checks. Nothing too dramatic, nothing too extreme. They're not banning the Armalite 15, which, by the way, that's what we should call that thing. It's the AR-15. AR-15 sounds so cool. Armalite makes it sound like a jelly spread you put on wet toast. The Armalite 15. I love my Armalite because I lost my teeth a couple of years ago. I rub it all over wet toast and it goes right down. It's the Vaseline of the future. Florida passing the law uh, because of the encouragement from these kids. Uh, we'll play a couple of clips here. Making it 18 to 21 years old, I think that's completely rational. I've never understood why the NRA would be against that, or people who want rational gun reform in this country would be against that. Again, if you don't think that high school kids, uh, if you don't think their voice should be heard, if you don't think they're adult enough to air their grievances when it comes to gun laws in this country, then you also should not believe they are mature enough to buy one. Let's play this fella. Uh, he is talking here at the uh, at the, one of the rallies. Because you guys are the fuel that the engine of this movement needs to run on. Yeah. I want all of you to know that you're all on the right side of history for this. We, the students of the United States, have a message for all of you in Congress. If you don't give us stricter background checks, heavier restrictions on AR-15 style weapons, and easier access to mental health institutions and resources, you will pay dearly at the ballot box. And who knows? Uh, who knows if they will? Again, going back to this Pennsylvania election, which will hit a lot harder here in the 7 o'clock hour Eastern Standard uh, time. Connor Lamb is no uh, massive leftist. I mean, uh, the man's a pro-life Democrat, so if you've ever seen a unicorn... This is another example, what's happening here with Connor Lamb, what happened with Doug Jones in Alabama. If you are a moderate, this should make you feel good because once again, it feels like the center of this country is beginning to get a little bit of representation. Of course, Connor Lamb says he will uh, vote uh, pro-choice. And you know who else does that from Pennsylvania, by the way? A pro-life Democrat from Pennsylvania who votes pro-choice, Joe Biden. 
Not a lot of folks uh, talk about that, but that is an absolute fact. So when it comes to what these kids are doing, again, I applaud them for being active, but we don't want to fetishize uh, the youth either. Let's go to the Facebook comment section. Feel free to watch this show streaming live. I highly recommend it. I'll read your comments right here on the show. Jessica Tobiasen says, I heart Big Ben. I heart you, Jessica. Thank you so much for tuning in. Jan Fry says, those kids are just being, in referring to the National Walkout, those kids are just being organized by activists and following instructions. Okay, and that is something we want to be careful about. However, these kids also do seem to be, I mean, you remember what it was like uh, to be a teenager. Were you following a lot of instructions? I certainly wasn't. And again, I was using my teenage angst for far less uh, significant issues other than gun control. Katie Conrad says, good call, Ben. Hail yourself. Hail yourself, uh, Katie. All right, let's play another clip here. This is coming from the protests. Jan Fry on the Facebook comment section. Obviously, we just heard the chance. We want change. I'll play a couple of other clips, but I'm not going to lie to you. I hate chance. I, I just despise chance. Hey, hey, blank, gotta go. It's it, you know, uh, it's just it drives me absolutely insane. You know, for example, this one they they did the no justice, no peace chant, which in this case, I don't know if you want to threaten violence if you don't get your ways on gun reform. Seems a little counterintuitive. <laughs> Three thousand students reported pro three thousand reported protests rather. So we're talking thousands and thousands of students here. And quite frankly, I also have no problem with them getting out of the classroom to learn. There's a lot of people who are saying, "Oh, they should be learning in the classroom." What did you ever learn in a classroom? Especially now, they just teach to the test. Uh, there's no actual education going on. So I'm really, you know, it's not like they're doing a Ferris Bueller's day off. They're not going to a Cubs game and uh, and participating in hooliganism. They're out there trying to get uh, their voices heard when it comes uh, to this uh, gun issue. Let's go back to the Facebook comment section. Evelina Baker Casey says, organized by robots, perhaps. Who knows? If you get a chance, check out those Boston Dynamics videos. The end is near, my friends. My God, it's going to be horrible. Check, go to Boston Dynamics. I think it's a .com. I don't know. And just watch what they're creating. I don't know why people are so unbelievably uh, determined to end the world, but they do seem to be that. All right, let's go back and play some more sound here from another chat. I know Christine, uh, the producer here on the show, who I'm happy to be back with. I haven't been, I haven't seen you since John Gibson. It's been way too long. I thought I did something. No, you didn't do anything. I think <laughs> I did something. They don't want me back here. Uh, but you like Chance. You were a cheerleader, so this this brings you right back. I, I like Chance. I don't like these Chance. You didn't you do know, political I'm cheers. Two, four, six, eight. You know, sack them. You know, well, get that, that didn't ball even rhyme. Back. Two, four, six, eight, sack them. Hey, listen, I was varsity. <laughs> you don't question me, all right? <laughs> well, I never sacked anybody when I played football, so you it would have been a pretty quiet cheer. Hey, you played football. And you didn't sack anybody. No, I was horrible. I'm too what tall. What were you doing? Take me out at the knees, and I like the cool. I like the Gatorade. I like to hang out there. I like the uh, 
accoutrements of athleticism. Protein shakes, protein bars. Were you flirting with the cheerleaders? No, we didn't even have any. I went to Catholic school for crying out loud. Oh. I don't think we had. I don't recall any cheerleaders. I really don't. No, no, no flirting for me. Again, mostly eating and drinking Gatorade, which if you don't exercise, actually makes you quite overweight. All right, let's play another clip here to uh, go back to, uh, this is more of a political cheerleading protest. Make the choice to free our voice. Make the choice to free our voice. Make the choice to free our voice. Craig Roberts on the Facebook comment section says, I'm fine with age being 18 for firearms, but I think all gun owners should be required to have at least some form of basic education for safety, operation, marksmanship, similar before one can drive a car. That seems to be rational. I mean, when I was growing up in Stevens Point, Wisconsin, I got a hunter safety license. It was intense. I mean, it was, I believe it was a three-month course. I had to go once a week for, uh, so it was was 12 courses. And, And then finally, they gave you a card and they say, you are good enough to hold a gun, which I never ended up buying one. So I do agree. It's unbelievable to me that you don't have to have any formal training to go and purchase a weapon, which was one thing that I agreed with in the Florida legislation uh, when it comes to the three-day wait period. I don't think that that's a bad idea. You know, chill out. If you can't wait three days for something, uh, you don't really want it. That's my personal opinion on that. Um, All right, let's continue on here. This is more protests coming from the march today. Not one more. Or walkout. Not one more. Not one more. Stephen Smith says, any excuse to ditch class? Yeah, why not? You know, I certainly, I mean, I would make up excuses on a regular basis. This is one of the more valid excuses. Mine was literally like, I got to go to the dentist. And they'd be like, for the eighth time this week, would be like, yeah, we're very close. A lot of cavities. Lots of cavities. Never had a cavity. Miracle. I don't, I seriously have With no With all idea. that Gatorade you're pounding, all Gatorade, that sugar? Gatorade, nothing but gummies. I mean, I don't know what happened. I have, I'm like the luckiest. I've never broken a bone, never sprained a bone, never sprained, never done anything. Maybe it's because I don't move a lot. <laughs> you just jinxed yourself, too. Yeah, probably. All right, we've got a call coming in here, but let's take a break, and we will uh, take that uh, right afterwards. This is Ben Kissel. You're listening to Fox News Talk. We'll be right back. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel back here with you. We're talking about the national school walkout that happened today. Uh, One of the good things that came from it was MTV went dark for 17 minutes. I would have watched had I known. That sounds like the perfect time to watch that that channel. I understand. I'm a 36-year-old dude. I'm huge. I'm from Wisconsin. The network's not for me. I have a lot of friends who work at the uh, MTV network. I am just making a joke about the programming. All right. Let's continue Talking about this walkout, let's go to Los Angeles. Maurice is on the phone. Thanks so much for calling in. What do you want to say? Hey, Ben. Uh, I think it was a good thing. All I right. think we have to keep our, our our young people have to keep this out in the open because our grown folks, the so-called elected officials, won't do anything about it because they're gun-toting crazy people. Right. Everybody or, wants a gun in America. No, that's why I was so su- uh, surprised that Governor Rick Scott actually signed the bill because, of course, he's running for Senate against Nelson coming up here in the very near future. He's going to need that NRA cash. So uh, I, I hear what you're saying. There you go. NRA cash. That's right. Yep. So a lot of things. Well, no, not a lot of things. Everything here is run about money. It's about money. But, but the kids, we have to uh, 
keep this in the public eye. We can't let it die out from another story tomorrow. Right. And then we, we forget about it. But yep. the kids are scared for their life, and I'm scared for our kids' lives. Right, right. Thank you, Maurice. Appreciate the perspective. Uh, absolutely. We The number one thing our government is supposed to do is keep us safe, and that's basically it. <laughs> All right, let's go to Madison, Ohio. We got John on the phone. John, thanks for calling in, brother. What do you want to say? Hey, Ben, first of all, this is a response to Maurice. I guess I'm a gun-toting crazy person, right? All right. Okay, and also I'm a member of the NRA. Okay. Uh, what producer, is- producer Christine knows me, so, okay. you know, fear to Christine, by the way. He's, he's rough. So, so what do you think about the legislation that, that was passed today, and what do you think about the gun uh, legislation uh, that passed in Florida? I'm pretty moderate on this issue. I'm not necessarily against it, although, uh, quite frankly, I, I don't agree with the arming teachers thing. But what are your thoughts? Okay. All right, Ben. First of all, as far as the gun law goes, okay, that's good. Assuring more safety in the schools, and I believe they, that, that should include more metal detectors and providing more armed security. And also teaching teachers to tactically defend defend the students. Okay. I mean, do and we I really want that. our educators being forced to do double duty as Rambo? No, they, 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 no, 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 no. I'm sorry, I don't agree with you. They're not Rambo. There's a lot of teachers out there that believe possibly in arming themselves, but not letting the students know. You know, they're doing it at churches. They're teaching tactical defensive techniques and. No, I know. Then. Okay, and and here's the other thing. You know, they, they talked about raising. The age for buying long guns right. from 18 to 21. Okay, Ben, here's the issue, okay? When I was in the Army, and I haven't been out that long, I saw 17-year-olds to 20-year-olds being trained to handle those firearms. These are the same 17 to 20-year-olds that are right. protesting about the gun rights. You know, yeah, but, but John, you went, but you did it the right way. You went to the Army to receive a, a lot of very intense training. This this Nicholas Cruz dude just went to a store and bought one. I mean, it's very different. Yeah, but here's the problem. The system broke down in Florida. It did. How yeah. many times did the police call yep, to true. the homes? How many times social services was called? And here's the thing. You're not addressing the elephant in the room, Ben. You're really not. The whole issue what is was it? there was a big breakdown. No, that is very true. Absolutely true. The Florida law uh, attempted to sort of uh, get more of a streamlined approach. So when people see something and say something, action is done. I don't disagree with you on that, John, but it doesn't mean we can have a fully comprehensive plan as well. Appreciate the call, brother. All right. This is Fox News Talk. I am Ben Kissel. We'll take a quick break and be right back. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel back here with you. 877-367-2526. That's 877-367-2526. The House has passed a school gun violence bill one month after the Florida shooting. Today was also a national walkout. A lot of children out there, a lot of kids out there, high schoolers out there uh, expressing their voice when it comes to gun violence in this country. Let's go to the phones. We got Reggie in Washington, D.C. Thanks so much for calling in, Reggie. What do you want to say? Well, as a as a teacher who students came up to me last week and asked, could we do a walkout? Yeah. I was very proud to see all these students across the nation, along with my students, take right. part in this and exercise their First Amendment right to freedom of assembly. And, I'm, and you know, it's about time our country does something uh, about this. I mean... If you look at there's a news report, the newspaper report what, was like a couple like a week or so ago by the New York Times that showed that, you know, every other nation that has weapons, like has guns, you know, has a lot more processes and steps to get a right. weapon 
of that mass of that can kill that so, many people. Reggie, and like, and if we can't even do that, like, what are we saying to future generations that right. the right to own a go- gun is just even more important than the right to life, liberty, and a pursuit of happiness? When it comes to you your know, like, students, this, what ages are we talking here? I would assume this wasn't uh, middle school kids, right? Oh no, we had middle school kids. Yeah. And we did a little walkout, and then we came back and we taught class, you know, and kept the day moving. So we how old? Kids who, so we're talking. How old are the kids then? Twelve. Oh, middle school. Yeah, middle I, school I, I, age. You know. Yeah. yeah. What is that? Twelve years old. When is middle school? When was that? Like thir- twelve to fifteen. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. And so did you, so you mm-hmm. thought this was a good learning experience for the kids. So you went out and, um, I, I guess it, you said you brought them back into school shortly after the, the protest. Yes. You know, like the kids are the ones who asked to organize this. Like that wow. was no prompting from any of the teachers. So we're talking 12 years old, you know, going back to what I was talking about earlier regarding my own high school experience, me walking out mostly to do uh, illegal drugs and drink. uh, It's surprising to me that 12 year old kids are thinking about this issue. What does that say to you? I mean, the fact that kids are worried about gun violence at such a young age, that's kind of heartbreaking, isn't it? Right. And they are a generation that legitimately can get all the information faster than any other generation possible. Wow. Like previous, right? So it's like they they can see all this stuff. They can research all this stuff. And for the most part, they are they are worried and they're sick and tired of this and sick and tired of it at 12 years old reggie do you mind we're going to bring another caller on kelly with you she has some issues uh with the age of the children but feel free to just talk about it kelly thanks so much for joining the show hi how are you guys thanks for having me on absolutely how are you oh hey i think i agree with some of the things you're saying um number one i like to thank you for being a teacher i think that's one of the most uh, wonderful pres- pres- um, things you can do. I agree. I'm a nurse, so I, I try to do something, too, for folks um, in Long my time. life and career. Um, I have issue with the age mm. of the children. I have issue with the script because I do believe that they probably um, did want to come out and say something, but they've been indoctrinated into this. They've been told and taught this, that this is the things that they need. Well, Reggie, go I, answer, just, I'm sorry, just one second, Kelly. So, Reggie, answer that. Do, did you prompt the kids uh, in this situation to participate in this protest? No. The kid, like, legitimately, the kids asked us as teachers hmm. we, a week ago. Hey, would you guys be okay if we if we participate in the national walkout? We said, look, as teachers, we cannot tell you yes or no. You have to take it to the the heads of the school because ultimately they're the ones who make the decision. Right. And Kelly, go on again. I'm but once again, I'm a social. I teach social studies and history. Okay. So the fact and also the history. So if you just think about the history of protests, right. the civil rights movement, you had eight, nine, 10, 12 year olds out there protesting and you had people saying that was wrong then. But think about the impact that has when you can see a eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, they're already being hurt because they see what is happening in our nation. So and, even though I can understand. Oh my gosh, that whole movement yeah. right there is just huge. Did yeah. you hear what you just said? Did you hear what you just said? Eight, nine and 10 year olds. And I'm not talking about a week ago indoctrination of our children. I'm talking from kindergarten. I'm talking from preschool. So 
you are saying you're scaring mm. me right now. You're terrifying me by saying that it's a fabulous thing for eight, nine, and ten year olds to be even aware or thinking or needing to to be. I just I'm blown away by that. Like that. That's exactly what's wrong with the country. Well, Reggie, I guess to to Kelly's point, I suppose, would you have the same sentiment if those children were marching in a pro-gun? protest. Would you say that's also them uh, exercising their First Amendment rights and good on them for doing that? Yes. Yes, yeah. I would. Yes, I would. I think because you, yeah. the rights are the rights. The rights right, are the exactly. rights. And no, I come I, from, I grew up in a very conservative state, so I have people who are on the opposing side of it, and I have people who are on the other side of it who are still saying, like, yeah, the kids should be out there protesting because... Otherwise, what are, what are we doing as a? I mean, if you're not, if you're an adult and you're not out there protesting, or if you're an adult who's not out there like trying to advocate for this, but then you are criticizing the fact that children want to do it, then where are our priorities too? Mm-hmm. I mean, I can understand your fears and stuff, but like, there's also reality of what's happening around our nation, and kids can get information because. They have access to computers and they have access more to than ever. Things. Absolutely, Kelly. We'll and, give you the last. And, yep. You want to wrap it up, Reggie? Oh, I was just saying, the information's out there. So if it terrifies you, I, I you know, once again, as a, as a someone who teaches, mm-hmm. I respect you, and I'm not trying to like get down. I'm not trying to be disrespectful or anything. Just know that the kids have this information, and so it's up to us as the adults to help guide them to fix this nation. Right, Kelly. Last word to you. Well, you sound like a teacher that I wish we had all over the country. Unfortunately, a lot of teachers that I have spoken to don't have your same sentiments. I agree with 90% of the things you're saying. Mm -hmm. My problem is that we are forcing thought processes onto our children that are unnecessary on changing the fabric of our country. Thank you, Reggie and Kelly, a teacher and a nurse. Uh, You are the fabric of this country. Thank you so much uh, for that wonderful debate uh, between two people that uh, are um, unbelievable to our nation. Um, All right, let's continue on here. Let's go to El Paso, Texas. Uh, Bob is on the phone. Bob, thanks for calling in. What do you want to say about this walkout? It seems that they're more concerned about putting a muzzle on the dog. What do you mean? It, instead of uh, stop poking it in the cage. They're, they're really more concerned with uh, taking the weapons away or more background checks, but they're really not looking at that. Isn't it bullying, which is what causes all these kids to do it? Well, you know, I actually have to disagree with you on that, Bob, because uh, I do a podcast, last podcast on the left. It's all true crime, and we covered Columbine. And there was a massive mistake made by the media, beginning with Columbine, that uh, Dylan uh, and Eric Harris, Dylan Klebold, Eric Harris, were bullied, when in reality, they were the bullies. I think that's a misconception. Nicholas Cruz, he was the bully. Most people who are bullied do not pick up arms, do not shoot up their school. It tends to actually be people with an immense amount of warning, warning signs when it comes to their proclivity towards violence. So why isn't there a bigger look at a home type? Violence or uh... oh, there should be. I mean, and that's what one of the issues that's been addressed here, uh, specifically in the Florida bill, is again the more streamlined approach to seeing something, saying something, and actually having people do something about it. So when people do have family drama, family stress, I mean, you know, in Nicholas Cruz's case, he lost his father, he lost his mother. 
he was living with these two uh, people who, in my opinion, they were demonized a little bit too much. They were my parents took in foster kids ever since I was twelve. I think they didn't do anything wrong. Who you never expect someone that you're taking in to do something as horrible as what this man did. Uh, but I agree. We we have to look at um, you know the situation surrounding the individual. And that's why I also believe raising the age to 21 is reasonable because where does a lot of that home violence come from? It's usually in your teenage years, and that's where you're angry. I mean, the, the hormones okay. alone will drive you nuts. Yeah, well, you take away the guns, then it's just going to be mason jars full of acid or box trucks rolling down the homecoming parade. But do you really think that Nicholas Cruz would have been smart enough to put together a Timothy McVeigh-style bomb? Oh, not not a not a bomb, but a box truck like you know what they got going on overseas. Just ah, uh, sure, driving just driving. Down. Yeah, well, we had a yeah, situation yeah. like that happen here in New York. Some random maniac, I think he was suicidal, drove through Times <laughs> Square, killing. I agree. Yeah. We're never going to prevent yeah. all violence. I, I think, yeah. and uh, I'm Take a Second Amendment guy, I, but I just want to be. I, I do think we can find some common ground. Yeah, take away the guns. It's just going to keep escalating. So you got to go even further back. You got to nip it in the bud. Find the root of the problem. I agree with that. Mental health background checks, all those uh, all those sorts of things. Bob, I appreciate you, brother. Thanks for calling in, El Paso, uh, Texas. Uh, love the state of Texas, by the way. We we had a chance to do Austin, Houston, and Dallas. And, uh, man, that state, it's huge. I know I'm not breaking news here on Fox News Radio, but Texas is huge. Uh, let's go to California. Speaking of big states, we've got Carter on the phone. Carter, what's going on? Hey, um, first thing is, we're Americans. We all have a right to, to be armed. Mm-hmm. Regulated, but still a right to wait, be armed. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. No. We have a right as an American to own and bear arms. Yeah, I mean, look at the Heller decision. That was sort of the the quintessential uh, decision on that, yeah. Well, there's a whole bunch of quintessential decisions. But I'm saying you have a right to defend yourself, period. What rational gun restriction uh, would you be for? What about, like, this idea of bump stocks? Uh, this thing that takes a semi and makes it an, uh, a fully assault rifle. It's It's a problem. Yes, but you can't. But see, what what percent of pe- percent are people are making comp stocks? Oh, I don't know what percent. I know it's a quite a it's a it's a very successful industry. Well, it is, but is anybody getting killed because of it? Well, if you ask the individuals in Las Vegas, uh, when when Paddock killed fifty eight, uh, yeah, there are some uh, folks who believe that number would have been less had he not had let's, bump stocks. Let's put it this way. By the time that individual did what he did, there was a whole bunch of people who knew about him, and they all failed to do their jobs. With Nicholas Cruz, yeah. No, I agree. Well, see, but you, if, if, the, if the police department and investigation agencies and, and, and the, all those people yeah. just sit around and smoke cigarettes and don't go out and do their job, right? getting huffy and puffy on the radio is not getting you anywhere, is it? No, and I'm certainly puffy. Thank you, Carter. Appreciate it. I just to lay this out there, uh, I completely agree that the FBI, local uh, law enforcement, and uh, to some degree the people around uh, Nicholas Cage or Nicholas Cage, Nicholas Cruz, Nicholas Cage probably too, uh, Nicholas Cruz, they should have been. Uh, more proactive in recognizing the danger. This guy is collecting 10 guns. Again, 18 years old, 10 guns. Being a teenager is a mental disorder, and I'm not even being mean to teenagers. It's just it's a horrible time in life. Uh, I don't see how um, 
a man, a young man like himself, harbor uh, getting 10 guns in a short amount of time should have not uh, had so many red flags spring up around that. Um, it could have been prevented, but that doesn't mean we also don't need to look at other productive, proactive ways to uh, try to eliminate or alleviate as much gun violence in specifically in schools as possible. Uh, just wait till you're 21 to get an AR-15 or go to a gun range and perhaps we can have a situation where you can rent a, an Armalite 15 or there are many, many ways we can do this and we don't have to be... Uh, the Second Amendment is not going anywhere. The con the uh, the Supreme Court again, going back to that Heller decision, uh, it has said time and time and time again uh, that was Scalia's big claim to fame when it comes to the Second Amendment. Time and time and time again, it has uh, reinforced our Second Amendment rights. So I, I don't believe uh, that it's going anywhere. Um, all right, we got another call, but let's take a break right now. This is Fox News Talk. I am Ben Kissel. We'll take a break, and we'll come right back. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel here with you. We're talking about the National School Walkout today in protest of gun violence. Also, the House has passed a gun, gun violence bill, the Stop School Violence Act, passed 407 uh, to 10. It's going to... Uh, lead to more enforcement of the national uh, uh, of the national instant criminal background check system, which flags potentially dangerous uh, gun buyers, which I think uh, is a uh, is a is a needed step in the right direction. Let's go to New Mexico. Christian is on the phone. Christian, thanks so much for calling in. What do you want to say about this? Well, Ben, I had to call because your other caller there, Reggie, mm -hmm. was waxing poetically about how beautiful and wonderful these children were for expressing their First Amendment rights. And my question is, okay, they've expressed their First Amendment rights. Sure. What now? What does this do? Well, that the is— protest, it's, it's not going to do anything. It's just noise. Well, you know, uh, that is something that is usually the case in a lot of these situations, although I would, again, refer back to the Florida legislation that just passed, uh, you know, three weeks after the massacre there at Parkland. So it does seem like they had a they have a legislative accomplishment to some degree, wouldn't you say? No, I think this was done because the legislatures realized that something needed to be done. That but, these are things that should have been done a long time ago. That they failed these children well, they by did, not yeah. providing the police um, protection that they were supposed to give them. It has yeah. nothing to do with walking out of school and screaming that Trump is a killer, that the NRA are killers, mm -hmm. and so on. That had nothing to do with it. And I'm it really. And then you're another one talking about the NRA giving them money, and that's a big thing. The NRA isn't even in the top 100 of, p of political contributors. They do have quite a bit of uh, political sway, uh, specifically in congressional districts and places like that. We can't deny the power of the NRA. I think uh, the NRA doesn't want to deny the power of the NRA. But you cannot blame the NRA for everything that happened. You They're can't even... blame the NRA, but I do think, you know, for example, they are suing now uh, the state of Florida because of the 18, raising the age from 18 to 21. Right. And I just think that they're wrong. I think that's a wrong policy uh, that, they, that they're going forward with. Well, what is that 18 going to even do? What is it raising it to 21 even going to do? It's just a cosmetic thing to make everyone feel better. If I don't know, man. Nicholas and... Cruz couldn't have gotten 10 guns at 18 what years old if the, the age was 21. I mean, I used to buy booze people? all the time when I was 18, so I understand what you're saying. Right. There's always ways to circumvent the law, but I, I just find it... I, I, why not make it more difficult? Why make it difficult? 
Why do we have to impugn the rights of everyone when one crazy person does something? We're not impugning the rights of everyone. Again, if you don't think that the teenager should be marching, I don't think you think they, they shouldn't be buying guns either. All right, Christian, appreciate you, brother. All right, this is Fox News Talk. I am Ben Kissel. We'll take a quick break and come right back. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here with you. Happy Wednesday. All right, we're going to switch gears. Did you hear about this story? United Airlines... They say no press is bad press, but I'm fairly certain United Airlines has broken that cliche. Today alone, we found out a 10-month-old bulldog, a French bulldog puppy, died on a United flight after the air crew ordered its owner to put it in an overhead compartment. Also, today... United Airlines might have mistakenly sent a Kansas-bound German Shepherd to Japan. They didn't even get the country right. Unbelievable. 877-367-2526. 877-367-2526. What is wrong with these airlines? I fly all the time. United is one of the worst. I have to say American, unfortunately, love the name, love the concept. No freedom on those flights whatsoever. Delta, JetBlue, and Virgin, which I believe is becoming Air Canada at some point. I don't know. I can't keep up. But my goodness gracious, United Airlines, these, uh, you know, when you're up in the sky, the people, you know, the the, the stewardesses or the stewards, I don't know, uh, they are, they, they pretend like they are the last line of defense and they can be extremely hostile, extremely rude, and extremely aggressive. And obviously, that's what happened here. Who sees a 10-month-old French bulldog, cute as all, and says, oh, I'm sorry, that has to go up in the uh, in the overhead compartment, which isn't even big enough for the small bags that you bring on the plane yourself. He was a really special dog, and... It's just sad how the way he has to just leave. For 11-year-old Sofia Sabalos oh, and her mother, Catalina Robeldo, Coquito, a French bulldog puppy, was a part of the family. We took him everywhere we went. On the United Airlines flight from Houston to New York's LaGuardia Airport Monday, Robeldo put her dog in this carrier but struggled to get it under the seat in front of her. Mm. The family says a flight attendant insisted the bag and Coquito inside go in the overhead bin. My mom's like, it's a dog, it's a dog, he can't breathe there. And she's like, it doesn't matter. She felt the dog and she put him up there. This is horrible. Of course, United also had the uh, controversy when they pulled the dude off the plane. But, of course, as everything that happens here, there are two sides to the story. And Christine, our producer, evidently loves United Airlines. I think it's because they let you break protocol. By speaking to the captains? I, I don't see what the problem is. If Ever, I, tell the people what you do before you get on a plane, just so they understand why you like United well, Airlines. First, am I allowed to say this on air? Am I, I going to get somebody <laughs> you from should. United in trouble? I hope so. Okay, so every time I fly, uh, uh-huh. you get onto the plane and you make a right, right, to get to your seat? To the seats, yeah. Okay, not Christine. No, I know this is this is an issue. Christine goes left. And what's left? Left is the pilot and the co 
pilot. So they just let you into the, the, the... I need to talk to them before. I need to make sure they are okay. I ask them if they need coffee, <laughs> if they're hydrated, if they're tired, do they need company? Because I'm a talker. I can sit and talk with them uh-huh. the whole flight. Right. Sometimes I sit down and talk with them a little bit before we get going. Okay. They have not, you don't think they have anything to do preparing for the flight, you know, hitting all the... I don't know what they do, but I would assume they have something to do other than talk to... Do you know how many times once the flight has landed, they've come out as everybody's leaving and they go, Christine, we're good. Did we do good? Once someone yelled at the airport down to me. Uh-huh. And one time they said it on the overhead. They said, I hope Christine back there is doing okay. <laughs> well, you know what? Now that I think about it, maybe it's nice. They have a face and a wonderful voice to put to the passengers. And they say, we can't, don't mess up this flight. Christine's on board. And how many Thank other you. Christines are on all right, I will take back my criticism of your unbelievable, obnoxious activity. If I was behind you boarding that plane, oh my gosh. My husband is mortified. I would every say time. put her in the overhead bin. That's what I would say. She's I'm gone. Like, you, Christine, you, you're going in the overhead <laughs> bin. You're bothering the captain. You want me to go where that puppy went? <laughs> yes. Thanks. <laughs> Well, there probably won't be a bunch of stories. Well, no, everyone would be very sad if you died. Thank you, I think. <laughs> I appreciate it. So the owner of this uh, of this dog, Pachito, Paquito, Paquito, unbelievably cute dog. Paquito. Uh, Paquito. They boarded the United Flight 1284 from Houston's George Bush Intercontin- uh, Intercontinental Airport to New York's LaGuardia on Monday with the puppy in its carrier. Fellow passengers uh, who sat behind uh, behind the owner said on Facebook that a member of the flight crew said the animal should go in the overhead bins. And there's a picture of it of the dead animal, and it is like the saddest thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, The flight attendants of uh, flight UA-1284 felt that the innocent animal was better off crammed inside the overhead container without air and water. They insisted that the puppy be locked up for three hours without any kind of airflow. They assured the safety of the family's pet so so wearily the mother agreed. Uh, There might have been a language situation here. I don't know. But either way, come on, use some common sense. Uh, Just because it doesn't fit under the the chair in front of them does not mean uh, that this dog should have to go into the overhead bin. However, the other question is, if this is your dog, do you just get up and leave the flight? That's, uh, you know, I think I might go that direction and just say, I'm out of here. But, you know, these flights aren't cheap. You got to get to the place that you're going. Maybe the other flights are overbooked as it is. You're on the plane already. You just want to get the dang traveling done. So I also understand, uh, you know, the hesitation to just get up and dip out of the flight after, you know, they're probably planning this for at least a couple of weeks or so. And, of course, the uh, the family, uh, this is the... Um, there was no there was no sound as we landed and opened his kennel. Uh, I held her baby as the mother attempted to resuscitate their ten month old puppy. I cried with them three minutes later as she sobbed over his lifeless body. My heart broke as theirs as I realized he uh, was gone. Uh, this was the fellow Lara there, uh, who was also on the flight saying that. So this is a very dramatic. Uh, incident. Also, we have the missing dog. Can you imagine that? You send a dog. Uh, it's supposed to go to Kansas. 
and it ends up in Japan. Here's some sound on that. Karen Joseph Swin Swindle, along with her children, are in the process of moving from Oregon to Wichita. When Kara arrived to Kansas City with the children, they went to the United Airlines cargo facility to pick up Ergo, their 10-year-old German Shepherd who had flown in on a flight ahead of them. When they arrived, they were greeted with a Great Dane instead. Kara was told the Great Dane was supposed to go to Japan and that her dog could instead be on that flight. But the airline wouldn't know for sure until that flight landed and they could see Ergo. She says she is just hoping wherever he is, he's okay. I just want to know where my dog is. Like, the fact that we have no idea is the most frustrating part. Because he could be, I mean, he could be in Kansas City. And we have no idea. Because the paperwork is all messed up. They have our paperwork here saying that this is the correct dog. But we know it's not. And it's just... It's just horrible. Their stocks are going down, by the way, United, and I think rightfully slow, uh, rightfully uh, so. They've dropped a little bit here, uh, down 1.86. So uh, that's probably for the best. If you're not going to hit them in the uh, in their pocketbook, I don't think they're going to uh, change their ways. And again, I don't know what the training process is. To work for United Airlines, maybe you have to kill 10 dogs in an hour in order to become a stewardess there. I have no idea. But it seems like they're very good at roughing people up, but not so good at serving what I like, vodka and, uh, and orange juice. But some people have coffee. So I have a question for you. Sure. Uh, as a, um, I'm sorry, as a dog owner, I'm not a dog owner. Okay? I love dogs. Yeah, we all love dogs. Uh, not Everyone every no, loves not, dogs. No, not everybody. Sorry. Not everybody loves dogs. Yeah, well, that's a... That's an indictment of yourself. See, you're judging. I'm not judging. You're being judging. I'm not judging. Yeah, I'm. I'm just sorry. I don't. I, I don't live for dogs. I don't think they're my children. Mm. When, when my family dog <laughs> passed away, my mother called me a couple months ago, yeah. crying, telling me my brother Ben died. Wow, that's my name. You named the dog Ben. And I had to think. <laughs> that's I, nice. I had to think about it for a second. I'm like, who's my brother? Like, the, oh, I'm the, like, oh my gosh, she's talking about the dog. <laughs> well, that's, you know, I, I understand people get a little overattached, but they are a member of the family. And in Pacino, it was it was just 10 months old. Okay, so when, when the flight attendant says, uh, ma'am, you're going to have to put your dog up in the overhead <laughs> bin, ma'am. It's a good impression. Thank you. Yes. Uh, why wouldn't you say, uh, no, I'm not going to put my dog up there? You're put on some no-fly list? Good. You're just considered to be a threat to the United Airlines? I have no idea. The, I'm telling How you. How about get off the flight? You, I guess you get off the flight or Where's you get drunk off the flight. Where's the personal responsibility here? Hey, oh, okay, my god. I have a child. I have a child. Put if it in the said, overhead department. you're going to have to put Megan up into the overhead bin. She's not fitting. Well, we have to work on the diet of your child. I don't know why she wouldn't be fitting. But child obesity is an issue. And that's something we need to address as well. I don't know. I understand you're on the plane. It's a it's a huge pain to just get on. The, the whole process stinks. So you're finally on the plane. You think you're going to take off. And next thing you know, they put your dog in a place where there's no oxygen, which I always find to be key in, leaving bio, in, in, uh, in having biological beings stay alive. Anyway, that's United Airlines. The controversies continue to uh, to mount uh, for this airline. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things where there are certain locations that only they go or perhaps their prices are you know reasonable enough. So they kind of have job security. United Airlines has issued an apology. What a day for their PR person. Uh, they have a, they have issued an apology. They have said. 
United Airlines staff says, uh, yeah, well, it's not really much of an apology. How about we're sorry? Yeah, that was basically it. They said, quote, this was a tragic accident, which it wasn't an accident. It was a purposeful occurrence to put the dog in a bin. Uh, it should have never occurred as pets should never be placed in an overhead bin. We assume full responsibility for this tragedy, express our deepest condolences to the family, and are committed to supporting them. We are thoroughly investigating what occurred to prevent this from ever happening again. Can you imagine if it does? One, do- Maybe you get a pass for having one dog die in an overhead compartment on your plane. After that, I think you got to probably be a... Uh, uh, I don't know. I guess co- uh, double as an animal, uh, as a kill animal shelter or something. Um, all right, everyone. This is Fox News Talk. I am Ben Kissel. We'll take a quick break and come right back. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here with you. Just another day at Fox News Radio when Snoop Dogg is playing. I love it. R.I.P. Poquito. Oh, man. I'm reading here all about these United scandals. Apparently, there was a large three-foot rabbit named Simon that was also murdered by United Airlines. Let's go to the phones. KB in Alabama. Thanks for calling in, KB. How you doing? I'm doing good, my man. How you doing? I'm good, brother. What do you want to say about this this United Airlines? Is this not a PR nightmare? It's a horrible nightmare. I can't even imagine. Okay, you, you and I both have traveled enough that yep. if someone has a bad experience on a plane, we're all like, okay, dude, we've had bad experiences. Chalk it up. No big deal. Right. Joys of travel. But losing a dog is, like, not a cool experience at <laughs> no, all. No, man. It's like you have to laugh because it's so, like, what? How did the dog yeah. die? What the heck happened? Yeah. And I, the part I don't understand is, it was in a bag. Well, I think it was in a little carry-on, right? Yeah, and and so maybe maybe she the the flight attendant didn't realize the dog uh, there was something in the bag. Have you seen any of these bags that are kind of chic? I've seen it, man, and- but it reminds me of uh, remember uh, I got to do a. Uh, a uh, National Lampoon's reference every time I do a radio or podcast. So remember the National Lampoon's when Clark Griswold picks up the package and there's a cat in it and the cat is just like, yeah. rawr, rawr. it's like, you know, when there's a living animal inside of a bag that you're picking up. Yeah, it's The weight distribution is different. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like The it, noise it, that it, it makes that like I'm an alive animal. Yeah. Yeah. And, in a bag, and the little girl told her. It's like a fully packed bag. Yeah, I really think this uh, This has been – I just checked the date. It was April 9th when they dragged uh, David Dow off the plane. Okay. So it's been 11 months that United has just tumbled downhill <laughs> in, in customer relations. Dude, it's, flying is miserable enough. And I don't think we should have to fear for the safety of man's best friend. I'm reading another Absolutely. article here. There's this uh, Jacob, the golden retriever, January 2017. Uh, Kathleen, the mom, says her dog Jacob, who traveled from Michigan to be with her in Oregon, was killed by United Airlines as well. She says the dog was disoriented, disoriented and non-responsive when he got to Portland, and they had to rush it to the emergency room, and then he was pronounced dead eight minutes later. Oh, my goodness. That's just – I don't even know how to to address that, dude. I I hope you know how much I love you. The only thing you can say is all dogs do go to heaven, and if you're that high up, you're a lot closer. Absolutely. There you go. Thank you, brother. Appreciate the call. Let's talk soon. Uh, KB in uh, the beautiful state 
of Alabama. Yeah, I really wasn't aware of the long history of animal deaths at the hands of United Airlines. Uh, there's also a story here about how this one, how this family had a kid seat and they didn't let the kid sit down because evidently it was already sold or something like that. So the kid had to sit in this woman's lap for ten hours. Another story about this woman who wanted to go to, uh, who wanted to go to Paris, and uh, she ended up in San Francisco. I don't know how it happens, quite frankly. Uh, but United Airlines, they probably need to get uh, get their get it together or they will continue to have PR nightmares like this, and I would not want to be um, working uh, with their PR company because that sounds like a horrible night. Worse than when you have to work with Donald Trump after like a tweet storm where you just wake up and you're like, what happened? What? You killed a dog. Is that right? Okay. Well, thank you. This is going to make my Wednesday a nightmare. All right. Well, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit here. We'll keep it kind of light. We'll talk about Joy Behar. She got uh, into trouble. She actually had to apologize. She had some inflammatory remarks about uh, religion, specifically Christianity. Um, you know, I'm not a religious person. I think you should be able to make fun of all religions. The hypocrisy comes in here where I don't believe that she does make fun of all religions. Uh, she did highlight Christianity, specifically evangelical uh, Christianity, which I grew up in an evangelical home. My parents are still very evangelical. I do think there's a little hypocrisy, quite a bit of hypocrisy, as a matter of fact, when it comes to the Stormy Daniels stuff and Donald Trump and all that. But we can get into it after the break. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here with you. Let's talk a little bit about uh, The View's Joy Behar. I got to meet Joy once. She was nice. Uh, of course, she's on there with Meghan McCain. Uh, she's Meghan McCain is the conservative, and then it's basically four people fighting with her. Uh, that seems to be the overall theme of the show. At uh, one point during an episode recently, I think it was the 13th or something uh, of last month. Was it last month, Christine, that she said this, these inflammatory comments about Mike Pence? She basically said uh, that Mike Pence's Christianity is a mental illness, which is an interesting use of words and verbiage, specifically going back to what we were talking about in the six o'clock hour regarding uh, guns. Who decides what's crazy or what's not crazy? That's kind of the slippery slope when we do talk about mental health issues, specifically in the context of denying people uh, their Second Amendment rights. In Joy Behar's world, evidently, uh, Mike Pence's evangelical faith uh, equates to a mental illness. And as I said before uh, the break, I am not a religious person. I grew up in an evangelical home. I don't agree with a lot of the teachings or beliefs uh, that people who are evangelical Christians hold, specifically not in the wake of what happened regarding Donald Trump and his sort of co-opting of the movement. I was pretty surprised. We look at, you know, the, the Stormy Daniels stuff and all this kind of stuff and all the evangelicals saying, well, we didn't elect a choir boy. You know, it's like, well, no kidding. Uh, but before this, there was much, much higher of a standard when it came to activity uh, that was allowed to still fall into the parameters of what it meant to be an evangelical Christian. 
I will say the hypocrisy here from the view, they don't criticize any other religions. Uh, it's not like, you know, someone like a Bill Maher, for example, who uh, the film Religious pretty much hits every single religion. It's not like that with Joy Behar. She chose to isolate a specific faith, which I think is, uh, is um, wrong, specifically if you look at what's going on uh, with the Women's March and their... Uh, evidently, there's support of Louis Farrakhan, who is the David Duke of the left. I, I don't understand how that is possible. We can get into that in a second. Uh, so I think that's what bothers me the most. Not that she said something inflammatory, which she calls a joke, but I, I done, I've done jokes. She's done jokes as well. There was no setup uh, and punchline. This was a statement. And I, that is a pet peeve of mine as someone who identifies as a comedian sometimes. Uh, I hate the uh, fallback of, oh, I said something inflammatory, not in the structure of a stand-up routine or whatever, but it was just a joke. I'm a comedian. Uh, have some ownership over your controversies and uh, don't just try to scapegoat humor as the reason for why you said something. So that's what bothers me about this. 877-367-2526. That's 877-367-2526. I want to hear your thoughts. I want to hear from uh, atheists, from the Christians, uh, perhaps Muslims or Jewish folks. Feel free to call in. I want to hear your thoughts on what Joy Behar said regarding Vice President Mike Pence, who d makes no no lie. He, he makes no bones about uh, how significant and important his faith is to him. This is this is going to be this is VP Mike Pence talking about what Joy Behar said. I felt it was important that I defend the faith of tens of millions of Americans uh, against against that kind of slander, uh, and and I did so. And uh, you know I give Joy Behar a lot of credit. Uh, she picked up the phone. She called me. She was very sincere, and she apologized. And but I did encourage her, and I'm still encouraging her to use the forum of that program or some other public forum to apologize to tens of millions of Americans who were who were equally offended. So we have a situation here. This is hypocrisy on many, many levels. Do you think that she should have had to apologize? I think in this country right now, everyone has to apologize. If you said something inflammatory against, for example, I, both of my older brothers are gay. I grew up watching and listening to RuPaul. My older brother loved RuPaul, and I, uh, and uh, therefore I heard a lot of uh, of his music. He identifies as a he. We can't even get into all that. He's a drag queen. Okay. Uh, he got into controversy for saying something that was perceived to be anti-transgender. And so he had to apologize for that. And it's like everyone is apologizing for every little thing, every little misstep, which is just leaving us in... A society of silence. That's why you go out to the bars and no one's even chatting anymore. They're just on their phones because they're worried, oh, maybe I say something to this person. Maybe he's a Trump supporter. Maybe he's not a Trump supporter. Maybe he's a Hillary supporter. Maybe they like Bernie. And I'm going to get, uh, you know, their ire. We don't talk anymore. The only time we are talking is to apologize. Here's Joy Behar doing just that. So I think Vice President Pence is right. Um, I was raised to respect everyone's religious faith, and I fell short of that. I sincerely apologize for what I said. All right, so we have a, a sincere apology. Christine? That did not sound sincere. Well, I don't... What do you think? I mean, are we... Does everyone have to apologize well, all the time? All, we need to play exactly what you said. All right, let's once do... Once you okay. hear that, you're not going to believe this apology. All right, Max, let's hear exactly what Joy Behar had to say. 
It's one thing to talk to Jesus. It's another thing when Jesus talks to you. Exactly. Okay, well, that's different. if I'm not correct. But my question is, can he talk to Mary Magdalene without his wife in the room? <laughs> All right, of course, a, um, uh, a joke. I suppose that was kind of a joke there at the end with Mary Magdalene. Mike Pence does not have dinner or meet with women uh, other than his wife uh, alone. That's, that's one of his rules. I understand it from a political perspective. <clears throat> I don't blame him uh, at all. You want to be safe. You want to be careful. But at the same time, there's an, the, the equality issue of, like, were you going to treat men different than women? You go, I'm sure you have dinner, man-to-man dinners with your staffers, but you won't have a woman-to-man dinner with a staffer. Does that then make their um, upward mobility in a profession more difficult? Sorry, in this day and age? He has to protect himself. Come on. No, I understand both perspectives on that. Um, so let's go to the phones. Uh, Marty in the beautiful state of Arizona. Thanks for calling in, Marty. What do you want to say about Joy Behar and this controversy? Or I'm not even going to say controversy. This this uh, sentence. Besides her being an idiot? Exactly. You know, she, she shouldn't use that position or that forum for politics at all. She's the view? A, a comedian. She's an idiot. She shouldn't even be on television. Well, that's a whole nother conversation uh, to be had. I mean, I don't know. I don't watch The View. It's not really for me. I try to recognize when things are for me and not for me. And I don't hate I don't hate that it exists, but uh, I haven't. I mean, I don't, do you watch it often? No, I don't watch it at all. I, I, I don't watch any of those liberal shows. Yeah, know? I mean. I saw I I CNN into in, in the whole thing, too. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, that's a bunch of idiots also. Do you All think they do is talk about they talk about President Trump? They, they do that, yes. And CNN's supposed to be news. There's news going on in the whole world. Why do they centralize Trump? Yeah, I know. You know, it's interesting. We definitely live in a uh, in a reality show culture. We definitely live in a very superficial culture. And I agree with you. If you go and watch. Um, you know, uh, British uh, news or even PBS sometimes, you do get a different perspective on the world. I mean, we have Syria is still in immense amounts of conflict. We have what's going on in Myanmar. I mean, there are so many issues that CNN could be covering. And I agree with you. It, it, oftentimes they're covering how many Diet Cokes uh, Donald Trump had, which is not does not matter out of all of the issues uh, that are happening around the globe. Idiocy to an extreme. Thank I had to get it off my chest, and I enjoyed talking to you. You take care. Thank you, Marty. Appreciate the call, brother. Uh, yeah, and, and you know, and Fox News can do better with it too. We got to get, we have to get more information, more news uh, to the people, and that's also up to us in, uh, as individuals. Can you imagine? Don't just watch the View or the Five or Anderson Cooper. Don't just watch one thing, because you're not going to get the full picture. And you're going to have a skewed sense of reality. And uh, that's really what's, uh, I think, the holdup here and why a lot of folks can't interact with people who might have a slightly different political ideology than them because they just watch one thing and they don't even get where the other side is coming from. And for the most part, as we as we heard uh, with Reggie and was it was it Katie uh, Kelly? Ke- well, yeah, Washington, D.C., Reggie and, and Kelly in Washington, they agreed on 90 percent of the issue when it comes to this student uh, walkout regarding guns. So we agree with so much. And uh, oftentimes we just decide to search out and find the differences. So then we can all complain and 
at some point say something like Joy Behar said uh, regarding Mike Pence and uh, in his faith calling it a mental illness. And then, of course, she was forced to apologize. It's just the, it's the cycle of our time. All right, everyone. I am Ben Kissel. We'll take a quick break and come right back. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel back here with you. Uh, feel free to find me on Twitter, by the way, at Ben Kissel. Tweet at me, and I'll read your questions live right here on the show. We're talking a little bit about the Joy Behar controversy. I'm putting it in air quotes. I'm just so sick of freaking controversies. Everything is controversial these days. Uh, and also, we're talking, uh, that kind of mushroomed out into a conversation of uh, looking at different news outlets and how they cover things. You know, you'll have the exact same story, and you'll see three different headlines that both allude to the exact same story. And, of course, uh, that's for marketing reasons, for um, for uh, division reasons, and so these people can get clicks on their articles in this Internet click-based uh, culture. Monetized lies is what I call a lot of it. But let's go to Lake Bluff, Illinois. Adam is on the phone. Adam, thanks so much for calling in. Uh, what do you yeah, want to say about this? Yeah, talk, Ben. Uh, I know, so, man. I miss doing the show. How you doing? Uh, yeah, you're great. Hey, uh, so anyways, uh, yeah, Joe Behar, what, you know, another, she was real – Talking real fakey there. Sure, uh, I don't think it didn't that sound real to me. No, I I, I feel th- like she got she apologized because maybe in that forum it wasn't the best thing to say. And of course, let's not be. The View probably has quite a few Christian uh, watchers, quite a few women that maybe um, have time during the day to watch that show. Maybe come from a religious home, right? So now uh, remember the uh, listening to different news outlets, right? Remember the S day when the president said whatever? We'll call him, so, cra- yeah, the crap hole countries uh, sentence. Yeah, yes. crap hole country Some day. said he said it, some so, says he didn't say it. Uh. Yeah, and that specifically like that. But right. anyways, so I'm listening to BBC and uh, German news. Okay. And the BBC reported that uh, Sudanese immigrants, the same day, Sudanese immigrants were terrorizing people in downtown Melbourne, teenagers were not letting uh, people that were going out on the town, like to dinner or the theater, mm-hmm. they wouldn't let them go uh, uh, into town. And Australia, you know, to that point, Adam, Australia has a massive epidemic happening right now, and so does Germany. I mean, my goodness, I think we have to be fair, and I, I do like the idea of taking in uh, people in need, but you got to be reasonable. I mean, a million people in Germany, they just don't have the facilities, and same thing with Australia. Yeah, and then you know how orderly they are in Germany and all that. I can go into that. But now get this next news story. There's a total of another three. So the next one's about Ghana. Mm-hmm. And that there's a river in the capital city that uh, they won't let young women that are menstruating cross the river, ford it. Right. Because it's a shallow river. And the government said that it's like bad uh, black magic or whatever. Yeah, nonsense. They won't let the people, right. uh, those young ladies, cross the river. So there's another reason why you can use that word, crap hole. Then in Tunisia... They're having mass rioting in the capital city of Tunis, and the reason is that uh, they're raising uh, uh, grocery prices. And and what caused that was tourism's way down. Well, remember they machine gunned on the beach a bunch of oh, European yeah. tourists. Oh yeah, years ago, yeah. And then the fi- and then the final one 
which was ridiculous, you know, in Angola. This is all on the same day, and you can look it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Angola, they had um, uh, the government there was uh, finally they proved somebody had embezzled like over $10 million and uh, they couldn't fund certain things in the country and all that. Sure. So that, you know, that just goes to show you, you got to listen to other news. Absolutely. You, and you specifically, would have never heard that. Thank you for the call, Adam. I really appreciate that. And specifically, the sad thing is, if you want to know what's going on in the world, you just got to. And I understand all of the controversy. I get how that uh, that statement uh, that Trump made, crap hole countries, I get why that was uh, offensive and people were upset about it and all of that kind of stuff. But it is important to remember as well uh, that there is a lot going on in the world other than our, we talk about bubbles, and I know America's a big one, but we still got one. We got a little dome here of information, and it is important to break out, look what's going on in the world, and I think that'll help form rational thoughts. Let's go to Khalil in Ohio. Khalil, thanks for calling in, man. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing fine. How about yourself? I'm good. Thanks so much. Yeah, you were talking about the... Uh I hear you talking about uh, the crap hole state. Yeah. And, what do you think uh, about that? Well, I tell you, you know, uh, I mean, anything that anybody say, there's some truth to to it. But uh, I mean, how would you know? How would you feel if everybody would call America, you know, the, I mean, the war country? I mean, right, it, right. it is. How would you if you would call it the slave country? Right. It, that'd be true. Right. Uh, I mean, you know, when you when you say things about countries and, and people that live in that country, they take offense to it. Sure. You know? Yep. And so so why why shouldn't they have, why shouldn't they feel, you know, some kind of way about it? Oh, absolutely. And, and, point time, and to that point as well, you know, especially with like Haiti, you know, they had the earthquake and there's reasons perhaps that it might be uh, a, a bit in dire straits right now that was completely out of those people's control. Well, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, that's true. That's also true. I mean, so, I mean, you know, it, there, it, there's more to it than just, you know, just looking at it just one way. Right. I mean, and people fail fail to do some things. But, you know, a lot of these countries, man, I mean, they have been taken over, you know, and and they these people have been put in these positions that they're in like that. Because, I mean, you look at Africa, okay? Right. If you want to look at Africa, look at Africa as a continent – black people but all of a sudden you have places like south africa the diamond mines all this right. stuff like that they don't own nothing they yeah. don't have nothing how can you be the a rich country as africa and your people are poor right why why is and that you, and uh, you know in in very recent history with what happened in libya i mean i know Gaddafi was no saint we all know that but my goodness at least they had I mean, uh some yeah. a, a relatively healthy economy and now it's uh it's all in Nothing. devastation so it's all gone and uh as far as down this uh, you know the just the the, the back up just with a joy bit. behar yeah we just got about 20 joy seconds Hart, yeah. yeah joy behar she need to keep her mouth shut she need to <laughs> learn how to tell some jokes first before she learn how to go out here and try to put somebody else down have something about yourself that i can't stand her all right. Thank you, Khalil from Ohio. Before you judge someone, uh, take a look at yourself. I think that's the overall sentiment uh, there, and we can all we can all learn from that. I, I agree. All right. This is Fox News Talk. I am Ben Kissel. We'll take a quick break and come right back. Yo, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel back here with you. Let's get to some politics. 
In Pennsylvania, the 18th Congressional District, it has been won very narrowly, 49.8% to 49.6%, with the Libertarian drawing a respectable 0.6% by Connor Lamb. Connor Lamb, the, Connor Lamb, the Democrat, beating Republican Rick Saccone. I did see some people on uh, social media blaming the Libertarian that were left-leaning, and i got to tell you, again, Libertarians pull from the Republican Party. So if anything, Drew Miller, the Libertarian candidate, uh, is one of the reasons why Rick Saccone lost, not, uh, not uh, why uh, Connor Lamb won. So um, we have a situation happening. Very big. We're talking the blue wave, all this kind of stuff regarding uh, the Democratic Party. Uh, will they be able to get enough seats back in Congress to have uh, a little bit more power, a little bit more say? When it comes to Connor Lamb, he is not your typical Democrat. Very similar uh, in some ways to Doug Jones, although uh, not like Doug Jones. Of course, that was the man who beat uh, the very controversial Roy Moore in Alabama. Uh, unlike uh, Doug Jones, Connor Lamb is pro-life. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, he is pro-life. He has said he will vote with the Democrats, uh, mostly pro-choice, I would assume. Nonetheless, this is not a typical Democrat uh, when it comes to um, running, specifically, uh, not a Nancy Pelosi Democrat, someone, as a matter of fact, Connor Lamb did everything he could to distance himself from. He's pro-union and pro-gun. So it's a good example of how the Democratic Party going forward can start to reclaim some of these more conservative districts. They're not going to be able to go so far to the left. I think Connor Lamb is an example of a moderate Democrat and proof once again that they can indeed win. Of course, Donald Trump won this, won the 18th congressional district by 20 points. Uh, their predecessor here, Tim Murphy, he had to resign. He was a pro-life Republican who had an affair and evidently encouraged the person he had an affair with to get an abortion, but she wasn't even pregnant. So that is like he may, he stepped in it. He he made his own uh, mess to step in there. So he had to resign. But this is a place that he won by 18 percentage points if he had any opposition whatsoever. And, of course, I'm talking about Tim Murphy there. So for Connor Lamb to be able to come through and pull off an upset should be an indicator or should uh, indicate to the Democratic Party that if they want to win in these red districts, being a moderate Democrat isn't the kiss of death. And as a matter of fact, a lot of Trump voters, again, Trump won this district by 20 points uh, went over and supported Connor Lamb. Here is Lamb claiming victory. It took a little longer than we thought, but we did it. We're practical people. We're serious people. And tonight, we celebrate regaining our voice and our vote in the great business of governing this country we love. All right. And of course, Rick Saccone, I got to say, this this race is a an example of why candidates matter. You know, we talk about people being going to the polls like zombies and just saying, I'm voting Democrat, I'm voting Republican, or I'm voting Libertarian, I'm voting Green Party, whatever it might be, and having very rigid ideologies that simply are copy and paste no matter who's on the ticket. That is not the case. Rick Saccone was a big business guy. Uh, he did go, he, he said he was more Trump than Trump. 
which Trump might not have liked that. I have no idea. Uh, Trump evidently is already kind of throwing the Saccone character under under, uh, the bus. Uh, He was polling down by five. Connor Lamb was up by around 5% in the polls, which, again, I don't trust whatsoever, specifically after the the atrocious polling that was done in 2016. But some people are saying, well, Donald Trump being there this past Saturday gave uh, Saccone a little bit of a bump. Is this an indictment on Donald Trump? Well, that's that's tough to say. Of course, uh, Barack Obama, he never was really able to catapult individuals that he threw support behind uh, to victory when he's on the ballot. Uh, it, it's different. You know, you get a little bit more of support for the people uh, down ticket. But for the most part, Obama was never able to help out people uh, that, uh, you know, uh, by uh, by going and campaigning for them. And we're seeing a similar trend when it comes to Donald Trump. Of course, let's not forget going back to Alabama. His support initially was for this character, Luther Strange, which indeed Strange was a proper last name for him because he was more aligned with Mitch McConnell and the Republican establishment. And then, of course, we had Roy Moore going with Steve Bannon and uh, and that whole kind of alt-right uh, nationalist, isolationist crew. So Donald Trump has really uh, not been very good when it comes to throwing support behind a candidate and having that candidate actually achieve victory. In Alabama, again, he lost twice, right? He had Strange, and then he had more. 0-2 there, and now he had the situation uh, in Pennsylvania. And Trump, I watched the speech that he gave. The the the. I mean, they're really they're they're pep rallies, uh, is what they are. Uh, for Saccone, he he did all. He was Trump. Trump was being Trump. That's where he uh, that's where he really enjoys being is on stage in front of uh, supporters. So he tried. You might say that he did not try in hindsight uh, with the loss, but he did try. Let's play uh, Saccone. Talking here about how they're still fighting, but now uh, it does seem to be pretty much done. You know we're still fighting the fight. It's not over yet. We're gonna fight all the way to all the way to the end. <laughs> you know I never give up. Don't give up, and we'll keep it up. We're gonna win it. That's always difficult for a politician who is staring down the barrel of a gun to just have a little bit of confidence, be like, we're going to the end. And meanwhile, he's just like, so, uh, you know, let's book a vacation plan because it doesn't look like we're going to actually be going to Congress anytime soon. That was no Howard Dean. That was no. Yeah. (laughs) Remember that when in politics, when a scream could end a career that doesn't happen anymore, does it? Poor Dean. I know. I actually, he was just happy. He was just a doctor who, for the first time in his life, people were happy to see him. And then he was just so into it. Of course, if you don't know what we're talking about, go back. I think that was what? That was 08. And uh, that was the primary for the Democrats. And he was talking about, we're going to Nebraska. We're going to North Carolina. We got it, Max? Let's play the Dean scream. This was, this back in the day would derail a campaign. Ah! Oh, my God. Can you imagine if that was like, doctor, what's, uh, you know, if you go, because he was a medical doctor, if you go in and like, what's the diagnosis? And you just hear Max hit that. I guess that means you got a clean bill of health. I have no idea. Or things are going horribly wrong. I don't know. Like, imagine you go and have a baby and it's like, it's go time. And the doctor does that. (laughs) 
Oh, my goodness. Let's play Connor Lamb here talking about how this is a potential lesson for the Democrats. Again, uh, I I find this victory to be very encouraging. As someone who is the center left, um, I think that Connor Lamb really does represent a voice in this country that isn't being heard right now. I feel like we have the two 15 percent polar uh, polarized extremists um, on both sides of the aisle are just controlling the narrative. And it's the 70 percent of folks in the middle. I mean that ideologically, not necessarily physically, who are just left in a lurch wondering who the heck is representing me. Because I don't want to have a full, I don't want the Second Amendment to be eradicated, but I want some rational gun laws. I don't want, you know, the list goes on and on and on uh, regarding uh, the loss of rational thought uh, in this country. So let's play Connor Lamb talking about how some lessons could be learned here for the Democratic Party. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't presume to, to give lessons to people outside the district. I think every district is pretty different. Uh, like I said, hard work really pays off. I, I think that in this environment, uh, no offense to all my friends who, who make their living on TV, uh, campaigning in real life in small rooms, door to door, person to person, uh, it works. And I learned a lot doing it. And I, I think that helped our campaign an awful lot. And I, I would advise anybody, no matter where they are, to do that. A breath of fresh air, a politician who went to meet the people. Stunning stunning stuff. Nothing has changed. Politics, I ran for Brooklyn Borough president last year. I got uh, 1.8% of the vote, 6,000 votes, I'll take it, with the Reform Party. And I got to say, that was what was the most exciting part about running uh, about running for office. You just get to meet people that you otherwise pass on the street because you have no reason to talk to them. As a matter of fact, it would be basically a, a sign of harassment if you did. But you got a reason, you got, it, you got your flyer, you can go speak with folks, hear their unique uh, concerns and where they want to see, in my case, where the borough of Brooklyn, they wanted where, what they wanted to see the borough become or um, how they wanted the borough to change for positive reasons. And uh, that's what's so fascinating. And that's what that's what Connor Lamb did. It's very similar, by the way, to what Doug Jones. I hate to keep on going back, uh, but there does seem to be a trend. I'm going to play a, cl- a clip here from Chris Steyerwalt. Uh, as well, of course, he's uh, on Fox News regularly. He's got a podcast with Dana Perino. My podcast, actually, Abling the Top Ad, does a little bit better than theirs, but uh, theirs is a good show, too. And uh, he is talking about that uh, about that trend of moderate Democrats running in these heavily red areas. They're going to have to learn, and now the proof is there. The evidence is there. The case studies are there. If you look at Alabama and now you look at Pennsylvania, let's play uh, Chris Stiewald here. You're starting to see a trend where you have these moderate Democrats, where you have these Democrats that choose. They don't engage. Uh, when Doug Jones was running down in Alabama, he didn't run, resist against the president. When Ralph Northam was running in Virginia, he said, I'm not getting into all that. I want to run the Commonwealth of Virginia, not this. You have Connor Lamb says, I care about these counties. And what this tells mm-hmm. me is there's enough rage, there's enough anger inside the Democratic base. They don't have to suck up to those voters right now. Mm -hmm. They're free to reach out to the center. They're free to reach out to disaffected suburban Republicans and try to woo them. And that that gives Democrats a great opportunity. Also, let's not forget uh, that they're only going to be Connor Lamb is only going to be there till November. And the 18th congressional district 
is basically going to be gone. Uh, the Supreme Court threw out Pennsylvania's current congressional map and re- recently issued a new map with redrawn boundaries. So this is a pretty uh, finite amount of time, uh, potential amount of time uh, for Connor Lamb to be having in office. But before we go to break, I want to play Connor Lamb talking about if Nancy Pelosi should go. And I guarantee you this answer to that question is one of the reasons he won. Well, I don't know that we're there yet. I mean, my understanding is there wouldn't be a leadership vote this year. And uh, in this year of all years, we've got a couple more elections to go for me before we'd ever get there. However, yes, I have said and I continue to say that I think we need new leadership at the top of both parties in the House. And so I'd like to see someone besides Nancy Pelosi run, and that's who I would support. But I definitely would like to see a different leader than Paul Ryan on the other side. What is it about Nancy Pelosi specifically that you believe makes her unqualified to do the job or that at least she should go? Well, it's nothing personal. I just think that the leadership of both parties have presided over a time when we've had more and more gridlock and fewer and fewer important things getting done. And I always learn that uh, responsibility starts at the top. So I think we need to sweep some new people in there. Absolutely. Could not agree with him more. 877-367-2526. 877-367-2526. What are your thoughts on this? Where do you think the Republican Party is going to go? Where do you think the Democratic Party is going to go? Let me hear your thoughts. All right, we'll take a quick break. I'm Ben Kissel. We'll be right back. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel back here with you. We're talking about the Pennsylvania special election. Uh, Tim Murphy was the fellow, the Republican who had that seat before, uh, resigned after having an affair and then evidently, uh, despite being pro-life, uh, encouraged his mistress to have an abortion, but she wasn't even pregnant. So, uh, again, that is a blooper uh, on a massive scale. What do you think? Is this an indictment of Donald Trump, who really did go in and throw as much support as he possibly could for this fellow Rick Saccone, who I thought was a real dud of a candidate? As a matter of fact, Donald Trump is going going as far as saying Connor Lamb, more like Lamb the Sham, because that is where we are currently in our political discourse. Let's go to Paul in Boston. Paul, thanks for calling in, man. Long time no talk. How you been? Great, Ben. Survived the uh, coldest February ever. Yeah, I saw you guys got hit hard, man. Yes, sir. Spring in seven days, next Monday, (laughs) and our fourth nor'easter. (laughs) <laughs> well, hopefully the weather looks at the map and realizes that it's spring and it starts to change its ways a little bit. L- literally, uh, sir. Hey, Big Ben, I have a little bit of a different take. Um, All right. On this uh, on this race, th- there's you just pointed out the dud versus what – I bet I'm legally blind, so I sat close to my big monitor. And he looks like a young Patrick Kennedy. Oh, He's sure. enigmatic. He's yep. a Marine. Yep. He said no man left behind. Yep. Uh, I talked to my local people. A real grassroots, sincere, every uh, age group and every community, he went and knocked on every door yep. and left no stone unturned. Yep. And I think this is more of what people want, which right. was Trump was a change from the old and something new. Mm-hmm. So do you think – so you see more of a, a Trumpian-like essence to Connor Lamb than Rick Saccone is what you're saying? A- absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you can't expect um, uh, President Trump – to undo his character and persona of support and his guy. But in reality, um, that area, which at the time was heavy for Trump, right. uh, they're happy with what President Trump did with trying to help them with the steal or happy with the tax cut. And I think Mr. Lamb represents the, 
modern view that that community in that county wants. Well, certainly, I mean, being very pro-labor, very pro-union, a lot of the steelworkers out there, as you mentioned, Paul, uh, going for Connor Lamb. Do you think that this is a um, a future indicator of where the Democratic Party goes to try to win back some seats in Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, North Dakota? Yes, sir, absolutely. And I would hope that at this point we've learned that the Democrats have to follow along with what this intentional, uh, what you call rejection of traditional uh, politics and establishment is about their solidarity pledge and commitment to fair and balanced policies to help the middle class and mm. the people that create and generate the middle income for the wealthy to feed off of. Right. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate the call. Stay as warm as you possibly can uh, in Boston. My God, did they get hit hard uh, with the uh, storm here very recently. Yeah, that's the interesting thing. The Democratic Party, they got to get back to engaging, and this is just my personal opinion, engaging with uh, those um, working class people all across the country who really felt as if they were abandoned. I mean, Hillary Clinton doing herself no favors uh, over uh, overseas saying that white women voted for Trump because their husbands forced them to. That's not true. White women have they have full agency over their body and over their mind. And they're adults. And they made their own decision. I mean, they got to stop with, uh, with the scapegoating and the excuses. Um, otherwise, they're just not going to see anything. But again, if you look at Alabama, you look at Pennsylvania, personally, I feel encouraged that we might get some good, intelligent moderates in Washington and actually get something done. I'm Ben Kissel. We'll take a quick break. Be right back. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel back here with you. I mentioned a little bit before the break, Hillary Clinton talking about... Uh, She's in India. She's giving a uh, she's just giving a lecture. She's it's, it's an interview there on stage. Got a big crowd. And she mentioned how, you know, she lost the white female vote. Fifty three percent of white females voted for Donald Trump. And she says it's because they listened to their husbands. And uh, of course, the Democratic Party is not happy with Hillary Clinton driving another wedge. Uh, into a group of constituents that, quite frankly, they need. And as we saw again, going back to Alabama and now in Pennsylvania, moderate Democrats can win in red states. Democrats are angry that Hillary Clinton continues to discuss what went wrong during the 2016 presidential election against Trump. Even some Clinton former aides and surrogates say the former Democratic presidential nominee should back away from the discussion about her failed campaign because it's harmful to the party. And I got to say, once again, uh, I completely uh, agree. Politics of division, I think people are sick of them. And Donald Trump, I call him out all the time for this, but we also have to call out uh, Hillary Clinton and the other side. For example, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, Tamika Mallory, she's one of these people, uh, she's in charge of the Women's March. She called Louis Farrakhan the GOAT, the greatest of all time. This guy is literally a person who believes that Jewish people are creating strands of marijuana to make black men gay. That is something that Louis Farrakhan says. It's not out of the mouth of Alex Jones. It's out of the mouth of someone who uh, the, the uh, one of the leaders of the Women's March says is the greatest of all time. we got to stop with the politics of division. It's not getting us anywhere productive. I want to play this clip here of Hillary Clinton in India. If you look at the map of the United States, there's all that red in the middle where Trump won. I win the coasts, I win, you know, Illinois and Minnesota, places like that. But what the map doesn't show you 
is that I won the places that represent two-thirds of America's gross domestic product. So I won the places that are optimistic, diverse, dynamic, moving forward, and his whole campaign, Make America Great Again, was looking backwards. You know, you didn't like black people getting rights, you don't like women, you know, getting jobs, you don't want to, you know, see that Indian American succeeding more than you are. Whatever your problem is, I'm going to solve it. Unbelievable. What this is how she views 62 million Americans. I'm sure she's some there are there's an alt-right component to Donald Trump. Uh, there's some dog whistle politics. No denying that. But my goodness, does that do no favors whatsoever to the Democratic Party, who, as we just mentioned, needs to start getting these seats back. They lost a thousand seats under Obama. I don't know if people really understand the uphill battle the party has, the Democratic Party has to get any kind of relevancy across the country again and calling everyone racist, calling everyone sexist. Uh, who voted against Hillary Clinton, who, by the way, a lot of people voted against Hillary Clinton because they found her to be racist. They found her to be sexist. Let's not forget the 1994 crime bill, which led to more incarcerated African-Americans than under any president in history. That was one thing she championed, and her husband, Bill, put it into practice. So let's not pretend as if Hillary Clinton has her hands clean when it comes to uh, being a proponent of racial injustice specifically— in the criminal justice system. So this is why people are being driven crazy. And you know what? That's why they said, I'm either going for Trump, I'm going for Jill Stein, or I'm going for Gary Johnson. Because they were just so fed up with this unbelievable narcissistic uh, nonsense and this person judging them. Say what you want about Donald Trump. And I criticize the guy all the time. He never judged anyone that supported him in those crowds. They, they could have had, they could be wearing the most ridiculous outfits, the most ridiculous costumes. I love him. He's a great guy. Look at that guy. Wonderful clothes. Um, so it is, uh, it, it is just that inflammatory uh, language is doing no favors. She continues on, and now she is blaming James Comey. Who, by the way, again, everyone hates Comey, which needs to be a television show if that doesn't exist already. I, I'm six foot seven, and James Comey is six foot seven, six eight, so I gotta have some tall person solidarity with the dude. Um, but everyone uh, hated James Comey, and I'm sure when Donald Trump made the mistake of firing him, and I say it was a mistake because it led down so it led down a path of you know collusion, obstruction of justice, all that conversation happened because he fired James Comey, and you wonder. If Trump would go back and go back in time, would that be a decision he would make given the fallout? Because I firmly believe, given Hillary and the Democratic Party's hatred of James Comey when he reopens this investigation two weeks before the election, I think Donald Trump really felt as if he was going to be applauded by the entire country. I swear to God, because Donald Trump does like to be loved, uh, despite the fact uh, that he doesn't often garner that sentiment. This is Hillary Clinton blaming James Comey, and of course, this is where we get the white woman. And what happened in my election is I was on the way to winning um, white women until <clears throat> former director of the FBI, Jim Comey, dropped that uh, very ill-advised letter on October the 28th, and my numbers just went down because all, and I heard a lot of anecdotal evidence about this. People have written about it. All of a sudden, you know, white women who were going to vote for me and frankly standing up to the men in their lives and the men in their workplaces uh, were being told, she's going to jail. You know, you don't want to vote for her. 
You know, it's going to be terrible. You can't vote for that. I got to say, I know a lot of men and a lot of men that voted for Hillary Clinton. So I don't I just don't get I mean, Christine, let's get a female. You're you're scrout. You don't want to talk about this. But now that I know you don't want to talk about it, it can't all be dogs dying on United flights. All right. Ask me. No, it doesn't matter. I just want to from the from the female perspective. Fine. Let's go to Max for the female perspective. Uh, Excuse me, Max. What do you think? Um, you guys are all the help uh, in the uh, world. Uh, all the, what do you think, Christina? But honestly, when you hear this, what do you think? I, I, first of all, it, it's so angering, first of all, that we're even playing this and still listening to her. Like, just go yeah. away. Mm. Go away. You had your chance. Just go away. But Twice. it is infuriating that people are even going to listen to this and believe what she's saying. Right. Do you feel like people are, though? I don't think they're get, I, I feel like this just oh, seems— yes, People on the left that are huge so? Clinton bots, and they're going to believe everything that she's saying. It's awful. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, maybe there are. I, I just feel like most people, even on the left, from what I've what I've been reading, are a little bit fed up with the "it's not my fault." When in reality, the person they had doing rural outreach for the Hillary Clinton campaign was a dude in Park Slope, Brooklyn. How the heck are you going to do rural outreach? From number one from Brooklyn and just oh god that would that whole campaign we all thought the the great irony about the Hillary versus Trump and I, we don't have a rehash 2016 that's been rehashed more I, I, I if it was a phoenix I think it would actually not rise from the ashes anymore um, but everyone thought her infrastructure uh, was going to be superior and Donald Trump just had a shallow amount of support and he had no one to get out the vote and yada yada and it turned out to be completely. Uh, the opposite. All right, I'm going to play this clip of Hillary Clinton talking about how people uh, were pressured to vote by their husbands, which, again, I just think it is so offensive to women. It is like, you know, it's women, again, they have full agency over their bodies, over their minds. And I know many households, many households where the politics are controlled by the woman. And Christina's pointing at her head. My household. Exactly. So it I is- believe my my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, but we were living together. I believe I said to him, um, "You vote for Obama, you go outside and you don't come back." There you go. So we have that situation. I voted uh, for a candidate in the primaries this year or last year because I I, I thought that that might be a more uh, successful uh, vote when it comes to courting a, a certain gal. Oh, uh, do you- tell. Oh well, I can't get into too many details. Come on, hot gas. No, the burns, of course. Everyone was feeling the burn there in 2016. Uh, But people vote for a series of random reasons. And I am just going to – maybe some people were pressured to vote by their husbands, but I – I just don't believe it's true. And part of that is an identification with the Republican Party uh, and a a, a sort of ongoing pressure uh, to uh, vote – the way that your husband, your boss, uh, your son, whoever, uh, believes you should. Your son? Your son? Or your boss? What are it, it's not it's not the 1900 election of McKinley. We don't do public votes. I mean, that's what happened with McKinley. He, he was the big business presidential candidate and you had to vote in public and biz, big business owners. They would watch their uh, watch their workers vote and they make sure that they voted in the, for the right guy. In this case, it was McKinley. You go to a vote. You go to a booth when you vote and you shut the curtain or whatever it might be and you vote alone. 
How do you, it is just nonsensical. Do you think maybe she possibly bumped her head when she fell down those stairs? I don't know. Anyway, all right. So that's Hillary Clinton uh, in India. And again, just, just continue to, to, stoke, uh, to stoke the flames there, stoke the fire of, of hostility towards millions and millions of Americans who voted for a series of uh, unique reasons. It didn't do her any favors when she went to West Virginia and told coal miners uh, she was going to put them out of business. Yes, coal, it's a dying industry, absolutely. But be political. Be slightly, just slightly politically intelligent and recognize maybe. Maybe people don't want to be told that they're going to be put out of business, regardless of the fact that, yes, we are going to be moving away from coal in the very near future uh, and going with more clean energy sources. I mean, anyway. All right, everyone. This is Fox News Talk. I'm Ben Kissel. We'll take our final break and come right back. Yo, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel here with you. Hope you're having a fine Thursday. we got a bunch of stuff to get to. We're going to talk about uh, Larry Kudlow. He's going to go work for Donald Trump. He's back in Trump's good graces. The Donald thought, uh, or Kudlow rather, thought that Donald didn't like him because Larry Kudlow is against the tariffs. But it turns out uh, all of that is water under the bridge, evidently. Also, we're going to get to uh, a little bit of Tucker Carlson. He is, uh, every Wednesday on his program, he's got a little segment uh, called uh, Men in Crisis. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, he makes some valid points, some points I disagree with, uh, With so we'll get into that. I want to hear your thoughts, 877-367-2526. That's 877-367-2526. But I want to start today talking about Rand Paul, of course, the son of the legend Ron Paul, libertarian, dreamboat. Rand Paul, uh, libertarian when it suits him. Of course, he did endorse Roy Moore out of Alabama, a theocrat, so that's always kind of a black mark on his libertarian resume, in my personal opinion. Senator Rand Paul has said he will not support neocons like Pompeo or Haspel uh, as far as them going to work for Donald Trump. Of course, Haspel would take Gina Haspel. She will take over as head of the CIA. And Pompeo will take over as Secretary of State in the wake of Rex Tillerson's Twitter firing. That's, you know, we hear about people getting broken up with via text. That's bad enough. Imagine getting fired via Twitter. That's quite a slap in the face, and I think a lot of people have—I lo- I looked at the comment section of that Trump tweet, and uh, a lot of people that support the president were more than happy to show Rex the door, although I don't really know why. I know they disagreed on quite a few things. I thought Tillerson did a fairly solid job when it came to North Korea. A lot of folks say without Tillerson— the possibility for a conversation between Kim Jong-un, a.k.a. Rocket Man, and Donald Trump, a.k.a. Dotard, wouldn't happen. That was one of the greatest Twitter uh, exchanges of all time, by the way. When Donald Trump called Kim Jong-un Rocket Man, uh, uh, Kim Jong-un came back with a deep cut Elton John reference. So perhaps they will get along. Who the heck knows? Nonetheless, Rand Paul, 
He wrote a uh, a uh, article today that was published uh, all over the place, uh, FoxNews.com as well. This is him talking about how he's going to oppose Mike Pompeo. And what do you think about it? I mean, Donald Trump, despite what he says, it he is not having the easiest time filling these crucial White House roles. Uh, there's been a lot of White House shakeups, and uh, it's not easy for him to find people that align with him uh, politically. And I think for the most part, perhaps Larry Kudlow is a little bit different, but for the most part, Donald Trump likes to be around people that don't challenge his political ideology, which is why he wants someone like Mike Pompeo, who, like the president, is completely against the Iran deal and a little bit more, well, much more hawkish, on certain foreign policy issues. Let's play Rand Paul talking about how he's going to oppose Mike Pompeo. My announcement today is that I will oppose both Pompeo's nomination and Haspel's nomination. One of the things I have always uh, admired about President Trump is his opposition to the Iraq war, mm. his forthrightness about this, and his condemnation of the regime change. So it perplexes me that he is now nominating uh, for Secretary of State someone who has advocated uh, and pushed for regime change in Iran. Coming from the article that Rand Paul wrote today, it says, Why I can't support neocons, Pompeo at State, Haspel at CIA, and Bolton at the NSA. Of course, he's referring to the man with the mighty mustache, John Bolton, who I've met many times. Very nice guy. Uh, initially, he was going for the U.N. position, but it sort of hurt him because in the past he has said he wants to abolish it. So that wasn't necessarily a great resume builder to then go and uh, and represent the United States in front of the United Nations. This is what Rand Paul wrote. He said, the neocons have been so completely and regularly wrong for decades now that it's almost unimaginable to believe that they would ever be in a position to advise a president again, let alone to wield the kind of power they will have if they lead some of our nation's most powerful institutions. He goes on to say, yet the past week has brought such a resurgence of this failed ideology that you would be forgiven for thinking we had time traveled back to 2003. Since President Trump took office, we have removed unnecessary and overzealous regulations from the American people's backs cut taxes, revitalized the economy, and installed constitutional conservatives throughout the federal ju uh, judiciary. All great and much-needed changes. But the furthest thing from making America great again, this is, again, Rand Paul. This is an article that he just released today. But the furthest thing from making America great again would be to allow the neocons to have more influence. Of course, one of the ironies of the sentiment or the statement of making America great again, it does hearken to politics of the past. And perhaps Donald Trump, as what happens with the vast majority of presidents, despite the fact, you know, even when it comes to Barack Obama, despite the fact he got a Nobel Peace Prize, that didn't stop him from extremely hawkish expansion of the U.S. drone program. When people, power, power is a drug, 
that is uh, very enticing, as we've learned from Gollum in The Lord of the Rings. So it is possible uh, that Donald Trump, as he continues on with the presidency, as he continues to, uh, you know, sort of marinate with power, perhaps he's becoming a little bit more comfortable with the idea of the Iraq war and foreign intervention. Because I'll have to say, uh, Trump's uh, being against the Iraq war was a huge selling point for him for a, to, for a lot of people. You know, when he was on stage in the primary going against Jeb Bush, he would call the Bush family out, kind of tie Jeb to W, and he called them out to applause lines. I mean, people loved him taking out Jeb Bush, which goes into a larger theory. It's a little bit conspiratorial that Donald Trump indeed was sent uh, to the GOP primary by Bill Clinton. They did perhaps have a conversation, a lot of speculation there, encouraged to run to destabilize the Republican uh, primary opponents so that Hillary theoretically could have an easier glide to the presidency. It's very similar to what Donald Trump did, by the way, in the year 2000 with the Reform Party. Inevitably, that uh, uh, that candidacy went to uh, Pat Buchanan, but Donald Trump was set up by Roger Stone to go into the Reform Party and completely shake it up. Pat Buchanan ended up getting something like 1.2% or something abysmal for a candidate with a mild amount of name recognition. So this is a real backtrack for Donald Trump to appoint somebody like Mike Pompeo as Secretary of State. It is a situation where Donald Trump, unlike a lot of the things that he has done, whether I like them or not, he has followed through with a lot of campaign promises. This is an area where he seems to be going in the opposite direction of what he campaigned on. This is Rand Paul now discussing Gina Haspel. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about this article that was written by uh, Rich Lowry. I know Rich as well. He's a nice guy. My uh, my girlfriend used to work at National Review. Nothing but rage, nothing but raving reviews for Rich Lowry. He has an article out here in Politico, and it says, uh, "Don't bork Gina Haspel." Of course, a reference to what happened to wannabe Supreme Court Justice Robert Bork. Don't bork uh, Gina Haspel. This is Rand Paul talking about why he doesn't believe Gina Haspel is qualified to head the CIA. And, of course, he's going to tie it into her sort of having a um, powerful position in these so-called black sites. Uh, This was taking place in Thailand. These are all over the place. I mean, heck, we have some in Chicago, by the way. There's a great documentary on the black sites in Chicago. Nothing to do with terrorism. That's just a corrupt police force in some ways. But this is Rand Paul talking here. I find it just amazing that anyone would consider having this woman at the head of the CIA. And so my opposition to her is over her direct participation in interrogation and her gleeful enjoyment at uh, the suffering of someone being tortured. All right, this is going back to what Rand Paul wrote. He says, according to published reports, Gina Haspel, who President Trump wants to become the next CIA director, ran one of the CIA's notorious black sites in Thailand, where she was in charge of an operation that waterboarded prisoner Abu Zubadaya. I'm sure that I'm butchering that name. I apologize for everyone. Let's just go with Abu. Uh, we'll call him Abu. That's right, Christine. Thank you, sir. Christine, uh, producer Christine. Hello, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. <laughs> 
How you doing, Abu? I'm oh, I'm good. Thank you. He was waterboarded 83 times, uh, evidently in one month alone. Okay. Uh, the other reports have detailed how he was also slammed into walls and confined for hours in a coffin-like box, as part of what was supposed to be passed as uh, supposed to pass for interrogation. So Rand Paul is uh, upset with Gina Haspel for evidently being a part of that in 2003. He also got into a little bit of trouble for saying that she was a cheerleader, much like producer Christine. Varsity, four years. We know it. Just reminding you. We know it. Was it four? Was it was torture the thing that you were cheering on? <laughs> no, it was okay. not. It might have been torture for the girls on the bottom because, uh, Ben, as you know, I was on the top of the pyramid. Oh, Just is that right? Wow, look at that. Well, you're very tiny, so I'm sure they didn't even notice you up there. This is Rand Paul saying that Gina Haspel was a cheerleader for torture, and we'll uh, and then we'll play the response when we come back from the break. Do you want to just take this to break, Max? All right, let's do this. So this is Rand Paul. He got into a little hot water for saying cheerleader. Some people think it's coded gender language. 877-367-2526. Give me a call. Let me know what you think of this. The people he's appointing, I mean, to really appoint the, the head cheerleader for waterboarding to be head of the CIA, I mean, how could you trust somebody who, who did that to be in charge of the CIA? And I think it's, it's galling. I mean, to read of her glee during the waterboarding is just absolutely appalling. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel back here with you. We're discussing, uh, well, mainly Rand Paul. He is opposing uh, Pompeo to be, uh, to be um, Secretary of State and Gina Haspel to lead the CIA because of Haspel's past uh, in uh, enhanced interrogation, which is sort of a, a pleasant way of saying torture. What's what's old is new again, so we're rehashing the torture debate. And we should give some context, of course. Um, you know, right after 9-11, there were a lot of people who saw those towers come down. The emotion was high. It was really the Wild West. Um, anything went. Uh, so it was a different time. Uh, obviously, things changed as more information came to light of what the U.S. was doing uh, when it came when it came to these again so-called enhanced in, uh, interrogation techniques. And and to the U.S.'s credit, to our credit, we did uh, change tactics. Let's go to the phones at uh, beautiful Atlanta. Donald is on the phone. Donald, thanks for calling in, man. What do you want to say about all this? Yeah, hey, how you know, Ben? Yeah, I don't. I, I, I mean, she first of all. Trump need to get out of his dictator tendencies and nominating people who he think is supposed to serve him. Right. Uh, but he should not have nominated this lady to be the head of the CIA because she has a dark past with this torture stuff that she believed in. And it's no proof that it even helped in nine after 9-11. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of information that was proved to be not accurate because, honestly, man, if you tell me, you, like, bend my finger back in, a, in the slightest way that makes me uncomfortable, I'll basically tell you anything. Well, well, you don't know if the, anything that I'm going to tell you or you going to tell me is true. Right. I mean, I don't, I, I, I have no knowledge that with, if you send me on a wild goose chase of a witch hunt or, or what? Or I mean, honestly, all I know is you're going to tell me something to stop me. Yeah, or, you know, doing something as nefarious as spreading uh, false information that may end up leaving uh, lives of American soldiers at risk. I mean, I mean, but we have no proof that any of that works. I mean, Khalid, right. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, he, he sent America on a wild goose yep. chase. He did. I mean, so, so it's, it's no Ramsey. I mean, uh, we have no knowledge that torture 
serves any purpose. And if these are prisoners of war, well, now the question why, is, Donald, why are we, do we, Geneva, why are we torturing people? Do we want to hold her accountable again? For the actions, what is this, uh, 15 years ago now, uh, again, the country was in a much different place. We didn't know if there was going to be another 9-11 style attack coming, uh, you know, nine on 9-13 or 9-14 or where, whatever uh, day or month it might be. So do we want to hold her accountable for the sins of her past after, as again, as I mentioned, as a country, as a nation, we did move on from that? Well, nobody moved on. I, I, I hear Hillary Clinton's name every day. I mean, her past got to be held accountable. She got to be held accountable. All right. Thank you, Donald. Appreciate the call, man. Uh, love Atlanta. Beautiful city. By the way, Atlanta, some of the best uh, art. If you just walk around the city of Atlanta, just uh, enjoy the art. It's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, so going back to what we were talking about regarding uh, this torture, I mean, it gets pretty graphic here. Evidently, this is according to a book out. Uh, it was Investigations and Witch Hunts. It's page 263 here. So Paul was referring to when talking about how she was the cheerleader. And I want to hear your thoughts. 877-367-2526. Call in. Do you think Trump was right to do this? Do you think that torture worked? Do you think that torture uh, is something that was needed? Paul was referring to the account of a waterboarding session with suspected Al-Qaeda lieutenant, again, Abu Zubaydah, who I'm sure, again, I'm butchering that name. Uh, and they were talking about these enhanced interrogation techniques. And evidently, this is what Haspel, ad Haspel addressed Abu directly in one session and mocked him. She says, quote, good job. I like the way you're drooling. She reportedly told him, quote, it adds to the realism. I'm almost buying it. You wouldn't think a grown man would do that. So pretty grotesque stuff. What are your thoughts? Give a call in. I'm Ben Kissel. We'll take a quick break and come right back. Yo, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel back here with you. 877-367-2526. That's 877-367-2526. We're talking about Rand Paul. His opposition to Mike Pompeo being the uh, new Secretary of State, with his opposition with Gina Haspel being uh, named the head of the CIA or want to be head of the CIA, and of course John Bolton uh, being put in a position as National Security Advisor. He's he's against all three. So basically, Donald Trump has struck out when it comes to the support of Rand Paul over his nominees for these positions. Let's go to the phones in my favorite borough, Brooklyn. Chris is on the phone. Chris from Brooklyn. What's up, uh, What's up, dude? How you doing? Hey, BK, long time no see. You got to run again so we can have an excuse to go to Skinny Dennis one more time. <laughs> Skinny Dennis, by the way, if you're in Brooklyn, it's on Metropolitan. You got to check it out. The greatest country western bar in the whole tri-state area. Damn fine place. And let me tell you, John Bolton now? Yeah. It's not just Larry Kudlow. He threw John Bolton in the mix. <laughs> he finally got over his mustache, or did he shave it off today? You know, I, I don't know. I don't think that he can shave it off. I'm fairly certain he got cursed by a witch, and if he shaves it off, he's going to die. John It'll Bolton be might back, be a thousand yeah. years old, as far as I know. I don't know. Okay, let's talk about this Haster lady. I mean, okay, number one, Rand Paul's right on the money, and it's good to see that Rand Paul has found his spine after Ugh. a year and a half. Right. I mean, I've been, that's why I, I was talking to Christine, the producer, before the show. Rand has just been so aggravating because he's, to me, it seems like he's a libertarian when convenient, but I get, you're right, though. 
Mm, that's why we never cared for Rand Paul. Right. But uh, no, it's just. I mean, no, him being part of the rubber stamp for everyone, every other yep. schmuck that ends up in this cabinet. Now, it's really nice to have you back because we can really annoy the Trump tards who have taken over the airwaves here lately, and we can finally get some really vicious calls coming in if people want to like really smack you down and tell you that Trump is the greatest guy in the world. Well, we've got some pretty nice people so far calling in. Uh, hey, no, you have. I don't think the last guy was great, but um. This 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 lady who they want to put in charge of the CIA, right? right? Abu Zubaydah, right? Mm-hmm. He's dead. He's right. quite dead. And the thing was, Abu Zubaydah, when he was being questioned by the FBI, was offering up actionable intelligence about Al Qaeda, means, methods, places, people—you name it. It was all working. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, he's dragged off to a black site mm-hmm. where they chained his hands above his head, right. put, a, a, put a, a hood over his head, bash mm-hmm. metal. Woke him up every 15 minutes. Right. And believe it or not, after 47 days of uh, no contact with the human beings, um, he decided he wasn't going to talk to anyone anymore. Shocking. he died. Shocking. And this is the the kind of woman. Now, here's the thing. The difference between Donald Trump and Barack Obama, right? I blame Barack Obama for a lot of the fact that we're being offered this woman for the head of the CIA right now because he had this thing where we're not going to look back. We're not going to charge people with war crimes. Mm. And by the way, if that lady who's been nominated to be head of the CIA happens to become head of the CIA, she can't set foot in Germany because there's an outstanding warrant for her arrest for war crimes Mm. right now. Wow. Thank you so much, Chris. Appreciate that perspective. Uh, My goodness. Uh, I agree. You know, we should have been harder on some of these people and tried to nip this in the bud. Uh, Right now, a special guest with me, a good friend and, uh, you know, just an overall good guy. He's a former CIA covert operations officer and president of diligence security firm. Mike Baker is joining us. Thanks for joining us, man. Hey, Ben. How you doing? How you doing, man? How you doing? I'm good, brother. How are you doing? I just had to listen to that... uh incredibly informed, uh, enlightened uh, individual who you just had on. I, I like nothing better than people with no actual experience or real insight who then live in an echo chamber of information that they get fed that agrees with their own beliefs. All right, well, their own beliefs, let, let's... And then declare, you know, blindly statements of fact. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a little more agitated than I was before I called you. Well, let's get rid of the echo chamber then and hear your thoughts on Gina Haspel, Mike Pompeo. Let's just focus on those two people. What do you think about Pompeo as Secretary of State and uh, and yeah, Haspel as CIA head? I think he's, he's, you know, he'll be very good. I, I, you know, frankly, I like, you know, I like Rex Tillerson. You yeah, know, I, I think um, he's a... You know, he's a very smart guy. He's got a, a tremendous amount of, of uh, uh, international experience through his, his time in the commercial sector. Um, you know, but I, who, who can well, read why do you think Trump's that, mind? Why, why, did, why do you think, I know, yeah, as you just said, who knows what happens in Trump's mind. Right, but right. Wh- what do you think Rex did? Was it just a series of disagreements and Trump finally was like, I'm done with it. I'm tweeting that he's fired and that'll be the end of it. Yeah, I know. Well, they've been talking about this for a while. Yeah. And, you know, he knew, you know, I think I think Rex Tillerson would be the first person to say he didn't learn about this from a Twitter. But he, you know, he, he knew this was coming down. Yeah, the, right, the writing I, was I on the wall. It was, it, was, it was more the the volume of disagreements. You know, it wasn't right. just one thing. It wasn't sort of the disagreement over Iran. It was a collection of moments in time where... You know, they, I, I suspect they butted heads, and, and the President Trump probably just figured, right. look, I'm going, if I'm going into these conversations with North Korea, if that's going to happen, then he wants 
you know, somebody clearly in that seat who the rest of the world views as aligned with the president. You right. don't want a lot of daylight between the secretary of state and the president, no matter who the president is at the time. So, wh- so I think, you know, that was that was the primary concern. Where What does this mean altogether? Right. So we have Gina Haspel. We got uh, John Bolton and Pompeo, obviously Bolton being against uh, the Iran deal. John Bolton, who straight up just wants to have a preemptive war with North Korea and the much more hawkish Haspel. All three of these people do seem to go against what Donald Trump campaigned on, though, right, as American isolationism, anti-interventionalism. What does this say to you about where we're going? I don't think he campaigned on isolationism. I mean, that— you know, oh, um, well. putting putting your nation's interests first doesn't mean you're you're an isolationist. Well, certainly uh, when it comes to when it came there, to aggressive foreign policy, he was right. Definitely. Well, I guess my point being is every country out there puts its own interests first. You know, we shouldn't we we shouldn't act as if we're embarrassed by the fact that we have a president who says you know America first because Mexico says the same thing, Russia says the same thing, Venezuela, Chile. Um, you pick a country, Australia, France, Germany, they're all saying the same thing, which is their own nation's interest first. But, uh, you know, I, what does it mean? Well, look, I, you know, I think Pompeo is uh, he's a very well-experienced, very mm-hmm. uh, uh, smart, educated individual. I think he's got a range of experience now, including this time over at the CIA. So I think stepping into that position over Secretary of State, I think, will be relatively a smooth transition. Mm-hmm. And I think it will be very good to have somebody in that position who understands uh, North Korea from an intel perspective as well as he does. And I think from the North Korea's perspective, they're going to sit up and take a lot more notice uh, now that there's been this switch and now that somebody like Pompeo, who ran the CIA, is sitting as the Secretary of State. Who, they will understand that. Yeah. Who do you and, they, give... and, and that will have, a, I think from our perspective, that will have a good impact on the conversations well, I, wherever they go. Who do you think should be given the most amount of credit when it comes to, which I think, what I think is a great uh, step in the right direction towards peace, uh, the meeting between Trump and Un, who do you think deserves the most credit? Rex Tillerson, who's now gone, Donald Trump, or perhaps Pompeo uh, was working behind the scenes? I mean, what do you? Who, who do you think deserves the most amount of credit for where we're going uh, and the progress that we've made in those talks? Well, you know, I mean, if it, were, if it works, well, if potential actually, talks. You know, sit down, if there's conversations, if something you know positive happens, then there's enough credit to go all the way around, right? I mean, nothing happens in a bubble. It's not one person's actions. You know, these these meetings. People like to imagine that that you know, uh, uh, President Trump, because of his the, his character, just sits around and just comes up with ideas and just acts on them, and that there's no conversation. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case. I mean, despite all the you know, the, the talk about chaos in the White House, there are a lot of of uh, discussions. One thing I think that Trump has shown, and again, I didn't vote for him, but one thing that he showed is that he listens to a lot of people. Right. He, he, and so there are a lot of conversations going on about this. I think there'll be enough credit. And likewise, if it does, if it heads south, and doesn't work, then, you know, I'm sure that a lot of people will say there's plenty of blame to go around for everybody. But they'll land mostly on the president's desk as, you know, it should when things go wrong. Do you get the feeling um, that Donald Trump likes to play good cop, bad cop, but he enjoys being the good cop more? And may, maybe he's surrounding himself with more hawkish people so that he can be the carrot and they can carrot well, also an Intended orange joke. Uh, he can be the carrot, and uh, and they can be the stick. Well, that could be, you know, the case. There's, there's no doubt. I mean, I think the first part of that statement that you've said, which is, you know, he enjoys being the good cop out of the bad cop, I think is absolutely correct. Um, you know, or can you classify, you know, Pompeo or, or Gina Haspel as, you know, as hawkish? You know, what they are 
it's very pragmatic individuals. Mm. Right? Nobody wants a, a, a war, well, with the exception. I mean, John Bolton obviously is, is on the neocon <laughs> yes. uh, side of things. Uh, but, you know, nobody actually does want a war in the peninsula because, you know, these people are very smart. They understand how catastrophic that is. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, despite what the noise is out there, and, you know, people have to learn to, to look for the, the middle ground on all of this. I agree. You know, read stuff on the right, read stuff on the left, listen to the left, listen to the right. Then use your own brain right. and come up with where the actual truth resides, which is usually, frankly, somewhere in the center. Absolutely. That's And that's one of the things that I've been trying to stress to everyone, whether it be in a podcast, radio, or just speaking with my friends. We've lost, we've completely lost sight of the rational middle in this country. And that's why I was so excited about the election regarding Connor Lamb in Pennsylvania, proof that you can be a moderate and win uh, in this country still. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a very good example. And I, and I think that, you know, you get more people who can, you know, move again somewhere towards, you know, the middle ground, yep. then that's a, that's a great thing. And if we can improve our ability to have civil conversations right. and not just make these, I mean, I think the one thing, and I'm guilty of it too, and I'm guilty of it as, you know, as I mentioned at the very beginning of this, this, uh, this, this uh, segment, when I hear people just make just blanket statements, just throw it down there as if it's absolute fact. Mm-hmm. And you think, wait, no, you don't know that. You don't know. You don't have that insight. You know, it's like when people say something about the Russian collusion. No, you, you don't know that. You just you're just throwing it down there as a fact. Right. We could have more civil conversations if we would start out by saying, I believe that, or my opinion is the sure. following. You know, just just try to preface your statements rather than just bold statements of fact that are based on shaky. Assumptions well, I, because you happen to hate the other side. I agree. What happens now, it's almost more like uh, baseball in the sense where it's like they just try to throw everything out there, and if they happen to get a hit, they're like, look at that, definitive proof. I called it eight months ago, and it's really a game of just <laughs> chance and luck. I want to just just before I let you go, thank you so much, by the way, uh, for coming on under such short notice, and it's amazing to talk to you. Um what do you think about rehashing the conversation? Bring us back to that time post 9-11, 03, got the Iraq war, Afghanistan, uh, you know, the terror threat. We, I mean, we, we, had the, we had the color system. What, what was the terror threat for that day? Uh, bring us back there in, in the context of torture. Do you think it's fair to judge Gina Haspel on actions from a really different time? Uh, no, but it'll happen. And and everybody understands that'll happen. We'll relitigate all of that. Uh, there'll be people who will want to and just throw it down and say again, you know, absolutely not, like Senator Paul has done. I, you know, I would have respected Senator Paul more if he'd said, "We are going to have to look at this in a very serious manner before I can make a decision." Mm-hmm. But you know what? I mean, people are going to do what they're going to do. She has got uh, over 30 years of exemplary service over there. And including at a time during that, that period of time that we're talking about now, the rendition program, when people don't like to hear this, but that was what was on the books. We didn't have anything in that kit bag that we weren't allowed to have. And if people right. go back and read the DOJ memos that were, were released uh, after much you know, brouhaha, then they will see that there was an enormous amount of, of uh, back and forth from a legal perspective over what could and couldn't be done. Mm-hmm. And – so, I, you know, I again, I know it's a mode of subject. And, of course, I'm subjective. I sit on one side, you right. know, but I, I understand that the other side's got a very strong 
belief and opinion about all this. That's fine. We're never. This is one of those things like abortion. You're never going to change anybody's mind on this. Right. And you know the the, the left took. They did very well at taking the sort of the moral high ground and shaping the argument that you're either talking to a detainee or you're torturing them, that there is nothing else in between. And I telling you, based on my life experience, there are things in your kit bag you can have when you, that are uh, in between that just, do not cross over in the right. torture. But we've, we've taken those out of the kit bag. That was President Obama's decision. That's fine. That's the way the government should work. We should have those conversations. And so, you know, it's it's a little bit frustrating that we're going to now go back and have those same conversations. Sure. And, and, and people won't have shifted from their positions in any way. Uh, but she is an absolutely rock solid choice for that job and would uh, do this country a great service, as she has for the past three decades. Would you describe what James Mitchell says in his book? The book is Enhanced Interrogation. Would you describe what he writes about as torture? Um, look, the, the the waterboarding, if you just take waterboarding, uh, I don't view it as torture, and I also view it as what what it was, which was a very um, – it was, it was the most emotive part of all of this, and yet it was the least considered option and the least used option in terms of other – uh, uh, tools in your kit bag used in, a, in an interrogation center in a very controlled manner, such as, I mean, but people, again, I, I get it. People go to Zero Dark Thirty or they watch a movie and they right. think, well, I've seen a movie, I've read a book, so I know, you know, and so fine. Well, I, I, you know, I, get, I guess it's exhausting trying to, to make a case right. based on your life experience with people who you know, come from a different life experience, yep. and they're not going to, you're not going to shift them from that position. Former CIA covert operations officer Mike Baker didn't just see the movie, he lived the movie. Thank you so much for your perspective, brother. Always love talking to you. Hope you have a great night and a great weekend. Likewise, Ben. All right. Thank you. All right, this is Fox News Talk. I'm Ben Kissel. We'll take a quick break and come right back. Unbelievable, Christine. There's a no Bieber rule. I, I didn't get the memo. Wow. Anytime I could play Biebs. <laughs> Rand Paul, say you're sorry. Oh, my goodness. He hasn't said he's sorry yet. Uh, before we move on, let's just wrap it up here with Rich Lowry's article. He's saying, don't bork Gina Haspel. He writes this for Politico. He says, President Donald Trump's pick for CIA director is about to experience a good borking. I'm not sure if he's trying to be punny here. But no, I don't. Oh, you really, don't think? I don't. It's Rich. He's such a nice, innocent guy. I don't, I don't know. Maybe he is. Don't you bork bor- oh, bork her. Don't bork her. Of course, Bork is now used as a verb. It's uh, 1987. This fella, um, obviously Robert Bork, he was he was rejected for the Supreme Court, and some reasons why they said that his judicial ph- uh, ph- philosophy was inconsistent, and they uh, pointed to this famous statement that he once made about how going on the Supreme Court would be a quote an intellectual feast. So they said he's not allowed on, and uh, forever and ever and ever, Bork is now a verb. So uh, Rich Lauer is saying, don't Bork. Gene. Uh, Haspel. No one, he goes on to say, no one doubts her professionalism. Barack Obama's CIA director, Leon Panetta, told CNN she's a good officer who really knows the CIA inside out. She has the endorsement of Obama's director of national intelligence, James Clapper, and of Mike Morrill, who served as acting director of the CIA twice under Obama. If I have to make a prediction, I think all three of them will end up getting through. Of course, Mike Pence, the tiebreaker vice president, 
might have to break another tie, but I do believe when push comes to shove, uh, she will end up getting that position. But we'll have to wait and see. All right, everyone, I am Ben Kissel. This is Fox News Talk. We will take a quick break and uh, come right back. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel here with you. Call in 877-367-2526. That's 877-367-2526. I want to hear your thoughts on this segment we're about to do regarding Tucker Carlson's newest segment on his television show right here on Fox News. Uh, Every Wednesday, he's going to discuss the... uh, uh, the decline of the American male, American males, American men in crisis. He's talking a lot about the workforce, a lot about automation, and I also want to, and how automation is taking away a lot of jobs that tend to be dominated by males, uh, construction, uh, you know, things like that. I also want to tie into that a recent Gallup poll, which shows that forty-eight percent, forty-eight percent of Americans now support a universal basic income. This is up 10 years ago. The same question, do you support a universal basic income? Only 12% of Americans did. I can't think of a poll or polling data with such an extreme difference from a decade ago. 12% 10 years ago and 48% Now, I also want to talk about truck drivers when it comes to uh, uh, vehicle automation. What's that going to do to them? And what do you think uh, when it comes to a universal basic income? Do you think it's inevitable with the rise of AI? 877-367-2526. This is Tucker. Well, they're invisible in Washington, uncounted by the official unemployment numbers you hear on television. And yet they're everywhere. Americans who have dropped out of the workforce, workers who don't work. An ever-increasing percentage of these are male. About 7 million American men between the ages of 25 and 54 no longer have jobs. That's more than 10% of the entire prime-age male labor force in the United States. It's a huge number. Most of those men, studies predict, will never return to work. What happened? Well, some of the causes are well-known. Competition from foreign manufacturers crushed our country's industrial sector. China's entry into the WTO alone destroyed more than 2 million American jobs. Automation is killing many more. A disproportionate number of these jobs are in traditionally male industries, manufacturing, agriculture, logging. A 2016 McKinsey report found that, quote, 90% of what welders, cutters, solderers, and brazers do could be replaced by robots and soon. All right. So Tucker Carlson, again, talking there about more mainly uh, male-dominated industries. He's trying to create the argument that the uh, rise of automation, the rise of immigration has a an effect on the upward mobility of the American male. What do you think about that? I have some issue with it, specifically if you look at the restaurant industry, not necessarily a male-dominated industry. The um, the uh, waitresses and uh, overall service industry, that's a relatively female-dominated industry, and it's estimated that 7 to 8 million undocumented workers nationwide work in that industry. So I'm not necessarily sure 
or I'm not necessarily sure. I believe that immigration has a more negative effect on men than it does women. But there is no denying there is an underground economy in this country that business has profited from. I mean, let's not pretend as if uh, a lot of the farmers who voted for Trump aren't a little bit aggravated with what's happening regarding his um, very aggressive immigration policy, because let's be honest, they need workers. Tucker goes on here to talk about uh, illegal immigration and its effect. And what are your thoughts? Do you agree with Tucker? Again, as with most things, I think there's some truth to it. I also think uh, maybe perhaps not. Jobs in which women are the majority tend to be far less vulnerable to automation. Three of the five fastest growing professions are dominated by women. The jobs that remain for men tend to pay less than the ones that disappeared. This is especially true for working class men who, unlike their female counterparts, have seen, seen their real wages fall over time. Now, part of the reason for that is mass immigration. More than a million new immigrants enter this country every year legally. A large but unknown number come illegally. Most of these are low skilled. All of them are looking for work. These new rivals compete primarily with the very Americans most likely to have lost their jobs. And the effect is lower wages. It's a matter of supply and demand. An overabundance of anything makes it cheaper, and that goes for labor. One study conducted after the Mariel boat lift in Florida found that Americans with lower education levels in Miami, the most vulnerable, saw their wages fall by 37% after the immigrants arrived. As someone who is the son of an immigrant, I am happy at least Tucker Carlson said all of them, all uh, immigrants are looking for work. That's actually kind of a narrative that you don't hear too much, um, specifically from uh, that show in this network. Uh, let's go to Florida. Trish is on the phone. Trish, what do you think about what Tucker's saying and what do you think about this universal basic income stuff? Uh, I think Tucker's spot on. Uh, right. My ex-husband and I are very close, and I've watched him struggle. He, you know, is in the upper white collar and has a heck of a time. Income's going down, down, down. What is his profession? Do you mind if I ask? Uh, he is CFO. Okay, and why is his what's what's been happening? Uh, what does he attribute that to, or what do you attribute that to? Is it automation? Is it uh, is it immigration? What do you think? I, I just think it is the um, the persecution of the the white man in the in the workforce. They are they become a pariah. They want to put in women. They want to put in minorities. They want to put everybody who's not a white male. And white males have become extremely disenfranchised. I believe that way before Tucker ever said it. Well, what what you know? It, it's interesting. Obviously, there are always unintended consequences to trying to create um, an equal uh, workplace, right? right? Uh, do yeah. you so? When it comes to uh, women in the workforce, upward mobility, uh, making the same uh, amount as men or trying to get to a level of parity, how, how else do we – how do you do it without some people, uh, I, I suppose, kind of going on the chopping block, for lack of a better term? Well, I work – I'm a truck driver. Oh, um, wow, wonderful. Trucks has actually got me. So I work in a, a male-infested uh, profession. I work harder, smarter, and better. Um, I make the same or more than a lot of yeah. my male counterparts. I like my father was a truck driver as well. Male infested. I, <laughs> I like that you're standing up for men, but it's still an infestation. 
<laughs> yeah, I could have probably put that there. But you know what I mean? I mean, this is still extremely male-dominated. I am patted yeah. on the head. I am underestimated. I am disrespected. Doesn't affect my paycheck because I just work harder, work smarter, do it better. All right. Trish from Florida, thank you so much. And speaking of Florida, uh, there was that bridge collapse in Miami. And uh, so I hope everyone is okay there. Uh, hearts and uh, and sympathies go out to anyone uh, that might have been affected by that tragedy. We need better infrastructure in this country. New bridges should not be collapsing in the wealthiest nation on earth. Let's go to Tim in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Tim, thanks for calling in, brother. What do you want to say? I actually agree that the way we're doing men in this country, we're putting on a, a worse product of men. I mean, we've told women have convinced even the courts that fathers aren't needed and they're raising the kids by themselves, and they don't even like the product they're putting out. They're like, well, whatever happened to guys asking girls out on dates and men who know how to treat women? I told one woman, I said, you guys are raising them by yourself. So you should be teaching us that. But I agree that we are emasculating men. The wage gap, in my opinion, makes no sense because you got a lot more men or a lot more women getting college degrees and things like that. So... If there's a wage gap, then maybe you need to speak up when you're negotiating your salary. You know, I gotta say, Tim, uh, my girlfriend is a testament to that. She is so good, and uh, and a lot. I have multiple girlfriends because I go into these meetings and I'm like, I I don't know, and uh, they are in there and they're like, this is what I want, and they get it. So I do agree, uh, and that is something that it's an area that we can definitely help people understand better. Demand the wage that you want. Uh, and negotiate, and uh, you got a heck of a lot better chance of getting it. Thank you, Tim. Appreciate the call, brother. All right, this is Fox News Talk. I am Ben Kissel. Uh, we'll take some more calls right after the break. All right, everyone, welcome back to the show. I am Ben Kissel. 877-367-2526. That's 877-367-2526. Call up. We're talking about men in the workforce. Tucker Carlson, he's got a new segment, Men in Crisis. Maybe a little hyperbolic there. It's every Wednesday on Fox News on the Tucker Carlson Show. Let's go to the phones. Uh, Tom in Long Island, thanks for calling in, Tom. What do you want to say about uh, men and uh, universal basic income and just where we are right now? Well, I'd like to make one point that okay. Tucker brought up the other day. and It, it really hit home. It's latenesses. You know, I do construction work, mm-hmm. and I'm 50, and a lot of the younger guys that work with us, they are late every single day. Well, to be fair, construction, they, judging from when it starts outside of my window every day, is very early. Yeah, we start very early, but it's not an <laughs> excuse to be late every day. Work starts at 7, you have to be there at 5 or 10, 2, have your tools ready and day to work. And these guys are good guys, they're hard workers, but every single day. These guys are late, 10, 15 minutes, and right. they're just miserable. You know, they're productive, but they just they just hate being at work. So do I you don't really remember being like that when I was that younger? I was happy to be out making money. Yeah, especially construction. That's a that's yeah. a good amount of cash. Have you have you seen your wages sort of stay the same or go up, or have they gone down with construction? Uh, uh, actually, uh, we've been since Trump became president. This is the busiest I've been in in ten years. Wow! And with these tax cuts, I actually see a difference in my paycheck. I see an extra 30, 40 bucks a week. Hey, that's uh, all right. Yeah, I'll take it, man. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, what do you think needs to happen then? Are you not blaming? So, I mean, right now, Tucker seems to be blaming uh, the quest for equality in the workplace, which might be kind of a moot issue uh, with construction, or perhaps I'm wrong about that. Is it? I would assume it's a very male dominant. Are there any women that, that work in that field that uh, that you can think of? Um, I'm sure there are, not really where I work, 
But one thing I can tell you, and this is something a few of the guys that are my age uh, always say, they would never be able to afford their home if it wasn't for their wives. They make more money than they do. Right, right. And uh, what do you, and you think that's all right? I mean, I think it's fine. Yeah. You know, I don't think it's an evil thing, but, you know, I mean, I, I, I really don't even know where to go with that. You know, why are women making more money at, at work? Maybe because the jobs they have is more of an educated job. And yeah. I'm not putting down construction. Right. You know, but these are job, they got jobs where they have to go to college for, you know, they're nurses and uh, yeah. uh, one, one lady is an accountant. Right. Thank you so uh, much, Tom. Appreciate the perspective, man. Love Long Island. Uh, it's a beautiful place. Well, speaking on that theme, Tucker actually focused on that here in this clip regarding women uh, not wanting to marry men um, or wanting to marry men rather that make more money. What do you think about that? 877-367-2526. What's striking is how little notice these facts get from our policymakers. Their overriding aim is to raise women's wages to parity or above men's. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. But these are complex questions with numerous and profound unintended consequences. So they deserve a vigorous public debate. It's notable that most women, the very population on whose behalf these policies are supposedly devised, strongly prefer to marry men who make more than they do. But what's beyond debate is that Washington and corporate America aren't thinking a lot about how to solve the male wage crisis. If anything, they're exacerbating it. All right, I want to go to my producer, Christine, on this. We had some comments. Uh, we talked about this before the show. What do you think? Do you think this is accurate at all? No, I, yes, I do, actually. Really? I, I don't think a woman really wants to get into a relationship with someone that, you know, they're making more money than that person. Apparently, that... you've never been a woman in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, because I don't think you'd have a choice. Well, listen, I, I'm, <laughs> and I'm, not, I'm an open book here, and I'm sure my husband's going to kill me for saying this. It's not like my <laughs> husband makes a ton more than I do, you know, where we're pretty even. It, but but if he was making a lot less than me when we were dating at the time, I don't know about that. I'd be a little iffy. I would want someone on my level, or if not better. I, right. I, why is that a problem? I think Tucker is right on that. I'm shocked that people would question it. You're looking at me funny. No, like 877-367-2526. Call in. Let's hear your thoughts on this. We'll be right back. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to the show. Ben Kissel here with you. 877-367-2526. That's 877-367-2526. We're discussing uh, men in the workforce based on this uh, Tucker Carlson segment that he's doing now, Men in Crisis. Uh, a little bit outlandish of a statement, but nonetheless, a good conversation and something we should be having, specifically when it comes to universal basic income. Now, 48% of Americans uh, are for it, which is up by a huge number. Just 10 years ago, it was only 10, 12%, rather, just 12% thought a universal basic income was a good idea. Now, 48%. A lot of things are changing here. All right, let's continue on here. Let's play this other clip from Tucker Carlson or another tip. This is, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I just feel like, again, I do not necessarily agree with this regarding families falling apart because men's wages go down. Uh, there's all the stay-at-home dads. There's again, gender roles have changed. I would love to be a stay-at-home dad. I just, I'll do radio in the basement, and uh, hopefully the equipment's plugged in, and I'm not just speaking to myself for three hours. And I'll take care of the kids. Why the heck not? This is Tucker. Meanwhile, millions of American men now make less than their fathers did. That's a tragedy. It's a betrayal of the American dream, but it's also a recipe for societal collapse. When men's wages decline, families fall apart. 
This fact is well known to researchers. It's been the subject of many studies over decades with consistent results. And yet it's rarely noted in public. Here's some of what we know. One well-regarded study released last year found that when men's wages fell relative to women's, families didn't form. According to the authors, a falling male wage reduced, quote, the attractiveness of men as potential spouses, thus reducing fertility and especially marriage rates. Researchers also noted a dramatic increase in out-of-wedlock births when men made less. All right, there we go. Tucker Carlson, what do you think about that? Let's go to Washington. Kelly is on the phone. Kelly, thanks so much for calling in. What are your thoughts on this uh, hot-button issue? Oh, my goodness. I'm really mad at Christine for saying what she said. First what, of all, what was, I... what was the thing that angered you the most? <laughs> she said that she might not have considered marrying her man because of the <laughs> income he made when she met him. I, she's very mean. It wasn't I good. Was... He works in radio, too, you know. Oh, my gosh, girlfriend. I just have to tell you that that really put me in a, mm, I had to pick up the phone. So, Uh-oh. yeah. I'm a successful woman. I'm a director of nursing. I make a lot of money. Awesome. When I met my husband, I made a lot of money and he didn't. Mm -hmm. But I saw the potential and I loved the man. Well, that's the and thing. I, I that, think, you know, Kelly, the key word there is you saw potential. A lot of a lot of times, uh, again, going back to some ladies that I know, I'm like, what are you doing with this guy? He's a DJ. There's no potential. Right. When's the money going to come? Oh, no. No, no, no. There's got to be potential, right. number one. It's not just okay. blindly, you know, going after a McDonald's. Not, no offense to any McDonald's workers. Oh, no, I love McDonald's workers. Not a living wage. So, um, technically, they're chefs to the president. Technically. But, you know, I just wanted to say one other thing in regards to that. You know, sometimes it takes a woman for a man <laughs> to be successful. Sometimes yeah, totally. it takes the right woman for a man to be successful. Absolutely. And I think you know, you recognize that. And not only does it, and, and vice versa, too, you know, a lot of times, sometimes it takes the right man. It, it's meeting yeah. the right person in the stage of their life and knowing right. that with them by your side, you can you can help lift them to the heights that they can they can reach. So, Christine, I, 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 I will forgive you, but, you know. <laughs> oh, come on, Cal. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure. It's a tepid forgiveness at best. Well, Listen, I, I kind of I agree maybe I was just being a little uh blunt with my words uh-huh um but well, I, does your husband listen to this show? yeah exactly what's what's the man gonna think when he realizes you're just in it for the money no he's home taking care of the kid cooking me dinner oh well okay home. that all works out that all works out thank you Kelly appreciate the call uh absolutely I mean yes I I there is no perfect formula for relationships or success in relationships. Sometimes you see couples that you're like, no way in heck that, that could ever work out, and they end up being together for 50 years. And uh, uh, that's why the old saying, opposites attract, as well, Christine raises her hand. Yeah, I like to raise my we, we haven't talked about you, Ben. For me? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, come on. Well, if you had someone that was making, say, double of what you're bringing home. Oh, I would love it. You what, would? What? Oh, I don't care. You I mean, I'm, I'm financially insecure? stable at this point for the first time in my life at 36 years old old um but for the longest time yeah i mean you know you're dead broke but again the key word that kelly said was potential i don't know if any i don't know if i had any potential i don't know if i have any potential now but sometimes uh you know maybe maybe there's a glimmer of potential the problem is when people 
actively, uh, what's the term? Not succubus. That's sort of a, a financial succubus where they just take all and take uh, take all your money and take all your money and take all your money and uh, just expect that to happen. And that happens. I mean, there's a lot of there's predatory guys like that and there's predatory uh, gals like that as well. So you do have to be careful for those. Right. Am I wrong? So you're telling me I should still be careful my husband? No, I think your husband is at home cooking Hi. you dinner right now and you've got. Yes. He, he makes a fabulous casserole. I'm sure that he does. And the lashes on his back from your whipping, uh, I'm sure, have forced him to be a good cook. <laughs> you psycho. <laughs> um, all right. Let's do one more clip from Tucker. And we'll just, uh, yeah, we'll take, this is about truck drivers. And, uh, and then we'll, get, we'll wrap it up here. So this is Tucker Carlson talking about truck drivers, uh, talking about automation. And again, I want to go back here, hear your thoughts. 877-367-2526. That's 877-367-2526. Call in if you want to talk about this subject, because we're going to move on here in a little bit. I do want to break this down. All Americans Again, going back to the universal basic income, very interesting. 52% don't support, 48% do support. Breaking it down by gender, it is more um, uh, it is more uh, um, supported by women than men. Women, 52% support it, 48% do not support a universal basic income. 43% of men support it, well, 57% uh, do. So you do see... Uh, I think that that goes back to uh, to gender norms in general when it comes to men wanting uh, or attaching um, their self-worth to how much they make. I think that that has been drilled into our minds at a younger age, perhaps, than it was for uh, young girls. When it comes to age, interestingly enough, 66, impl- 66 plus, 38% support it. But other than that, it's pretty much even from 18 to 65. 18 to 35, 54%. 36 to 50, half. 50-50 on support or not support for basic income. And if you're 51 to 65, 46%. So really, uh, it does have quite a bit of wide appeal uh, with the age groups. This is Tucker Carlson talking about truck drivers. We'll take this to break. There are more than 3 million professional truck drivers in this country. It is the most common job in the majority of American states. More than 90% of drivers are men. Thanks to technology, many of these men are about to lose their jobs. That's a lot of unemployed Americans. That's a lot of broken families. Washington is not worried at all about this. Lawmakers and business leaders assure us that those truck drivers will be just fine. They'll find something else to do, something better, in fact, with higher pay. And maybe they will. But keep in mind, our leaders said the very same thing about manufacturing jobs 30 years ago. I don't want to grow up, because baby, if I Oh, man, that brings me back there. Toys R Us, after 70 years, it's official, ladies and gentlemen. It's going out of business. We're talking about automation. We're talking about new technology uh, destroying jobs. We're talking about that in the context of a universal basic income and things like that. Toys R Us, it's going to cost around 30,000 jobs uh, when it does end up going out of business. Toys R Us, the iconic toy retailer, will will shutter or sell its stores in the United States after failing to find a buyer or reach a deal to restructure billions and billions of dollars 
in debt. The closure is a blow to hundreds of toy makers that sell their products at the chain's U.S. stores, including Barbie maker Mattel, border, uh, board game company Hasbro, and other, and other vendors like Lego. Uh, this is according to Chief Executive Officer CEO Dave Brandon. He says, this is, this is a profoundly sad day for us, as well as the millions of kids and families who, have, who we have served over the past 70 years. I got to say, I mean, going to Toys R Us as a kid, we also had KB Toys when I, where I was growing up in Stevens ah, Point. We had it too. Yeah, KB Toys. It was pretty good. It wasn't Toys R Us. It wasn't Toys R Us. I mean, when you went to go get your He-Man toys, where did you go? You know what? I didn't really get a lot of He-Man toys. My parents didn't allow them. When you went to buy your Barbies? No, I didn't get the Barbies either, although both of my older brothers are gay, but uh, no Barbies in the house. I was allowed to have, uh, what did I, He-Man, my, my mom thought was too aggressive, so you didn't like, uh, what was it, the Gray Skull. So I didn't get to play with the He-Mans. I got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because turtles are fun. And they're in a half shell. They're in a half a shell, which makes a lot of sense. Although there is still a sh- is there no shell on their stomach? Is that the whole thing? No, they were turtles in a half shell. Yeah, I know what that was all about. But anyway, so I got the turtles and uh, a couple of other random things. Did you have a My Buddy? No, I thought my buddies were creepy. I had a kid sister. I had a well. The thing is, you ever see you've you've seen Chucky? I assume. No, I haven't. Chucky the Horror no, franchise? I don't, do, I don't do scary movies. It's not scary. Yes, it's about it a cartoon. It's not a cartoon. It's a doll. That came to life. Yeah, but you should- every, Kill people. Every time it's Chucky is killing someone, you just say, kick it. Just It's a doll. You kick it. But it's got a knife, and you know he's a relatively aggressive- he, it, It's the soul of a serial killer. Anyway, my buddies freaked me out because I saw Chucky before the my buddy, and then I was like, there's no way I'm going to invite a demon into my home. Did you buy your Nintendo games at- uh... Well, Nintendo was problematic for me because my older brothers controlled the entire NES station, and every time my brother would say, we'll play until you die, and I would just die immediately, and I just really learned um, failure. You had a rough childhood. You know, when you're the youngest of three, it is never easy. You never get to, I don't know, I, I'm finally playing video games now in my mid-30s. So what's going on here with uh, with Toys R Us, it is $6.6 bucks. Uh, that's what it was looking for. It is not going to happen because everyone is choosing to go with Amazon. And you know, I mean... What are we going to do about all this? It's on us. I think if we're going to, if we're going to have institutions like Toys R Us stick around, you got to get off your duff, get off of the internet and go there and take a little bit more time and, and just actively buy the toys. It's up to us the consumer. There I mean obviously Toys R Us didn't change. I 1000% agree with you. Especially during Christmas time. I mean, yes. did you see it was like 99% of people buying Christmas presents was just packages that came oh my to your God. door. And you feel I feel so bad for the UPS guys and, and and women out there. It's like, "Oh, they're not supposed to be delivering every single human need." So next year you and I are going to go to the mall together We're and going go to shopping. The I'm bringing back the mall. New Jersey needs to rise again. All right, everyone, this is Fox News Talk. I'm Ben Kissel. We'll take a quick break and come right back. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here. Call in 877-367-2526. That's 877-367-2526. Garrett Cohn's gone. He's out of the White House. A lot of White House shakeups. As a matter of fact, here's Byron York talking about that. And then we're going to talk a little bit about Larry Kudlow, someone that Christine and I both know. Larry's a very nice guy. And I want to say uh, he is an encouraging story 
There are some negative articles about uh, they're trying to spin this negatively, uh, but he is an encouraging story when it comes to sobriety. Uh, He's been sober for 23 years after uh, having um, obviously an issue with the drugs and alcohol. So he's a really good uh, um, success story, and I want to get into that uh, as well. But this is Byron York talking about White House shakeups now. Obviously, Gary Cohn not happy with uh, Donald Trump's tariff plan. So he just he, he dipped on out of there. He got out and left. And Larry Kudlow is now going to be filling his shoes as Donald Trump's new economic advisor. This is Byron York. First of all, you knew there were going to be first-year changes. Yeah. I mean, everybody knows that. It happens in other administrations. This has this administration has had a lot more changes than some of the others, so there's no doubt about that. But, I, you know, I think what has, has happened is that Trump has experimented in various places with bringing people in who had no governmental experience yeah. and people who How did. How that work out? Well, sometimes it does and sometimes yeah. it doesn't. Most for time, example, doesn't. he's probably going to be looking for a new national security advisor, you really need somebody who knows how the government works. Yeah, it looks like- and of course, that person that he was referencing, Byron York was cut off. I believe that was Laura Ingram. I think that was the show that he was on there, uh, was of course John Bolton, the new national security advisor. Here is uh, Donald Trump talking about Larry Kudlow, and he's talking about how they don't always agree. Of course, the proof is in the pudding. Uh, how long can Donald Trump hang out with someone he doesn't agree with or see eye to eye with. I think in theory, Donald Trump wants to say, like, I can hang out with anyone. I'm a great friend of all. But in actuality, uh, he doesn't. It seems to wear on him a little bit. But this is Trump talking about Larry Kudlow. I've known him a long time. We don't agree on everything. But in this case, I think that's good. I want to have a divergent opinion. Uh, We agree on most. Uh, He now has come around to... Believing in tariffs as also a negotiating point. Uh, Mr. Kudlow spent the years leading up to the 2016 election trying to convince every potential Republican candidate that by slashing corporate tax rates, which obviously uh, the Republican tax plan did all the way down to 21 percent, America's rate of economic growth could double. His arguments foreshadowed Mr. Trump's push for the tax cuts he would sign as president uh, late last year. So they do agree on the tax cuts, which is very significant. However, they don't agree on the tariffs. Here's Larry Kudlow. I must say, as someone who doesn't like tariffs, I think China has earned a tough response, not only from the United States. I mean, I would a thought that I have is that the United States could lead a coalition of large trading partners and allies against China or to let China know that they are breaking the rules left and right. This is Larry Kudlow talking about uh, why he believes a lower corporate tax rate is good. Mr. Kudlow said in in a February 2015 interview, again, doesn't like the tariffs, likes the tax cut. The single group, this is according to Larry Kudlow, the single group that benefits the most from a lower corporate tax is the middle class wage earner. And every study shows that. So Larry Kudlow and Donald Trump seen eye to eye there. Obviously, again, the tariffs. Perhaps there was more going on with Gary Cohn 
and Donald Trump than just the uh, tariffs. Maybe that was the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. This is Larry Kudlow talking about the phone call he received from Donald Trump. And it's interesting because uh, initially, evidently, Kudlow thought that Donald Trump was calling to ream him out because... He disliked the tariffs. He called me Sunday afternoon, and I thought he was going to call me to bowl me out because I had some problems with the cross-the-board tariffs and started explaining his position to me, his thinking on the matter. We got into the conversation, and he started talking about the NEC director job, but it was just a really good thing. So at some point during that interview, Kudlow's like, oh, you're not yelling at me. You're offering me a job. He goes on to talk about how he spoke to Donald Trump, I believe, three days in a row. And uh, he claims that he got a lot of insight into Donald Trump's thought process on this. Of course, we don't hear a lot about Donald Trump and thought process uh, in the media. But evidently, according to Larry Kudlow, Uh, He indeed does think these things through as opposed to flippantly responding or sort of um, uh, just kind of knee jerk reacting to uh, to uh, global affairs, specifically when it comes in this situation to those tariffs. This is Kudlow again talking about how individuals deserve tax breaks. Individuals deserve a permanent break. That's very important. Elon's right. I'll add some more to it. Um, Talk about. Uh, capital gains, possibly lowering the rate, but possibly indexing them for inflation. Well, and that's one of the issues. The corporate tax break uh, is permanent. The middle class and uh, lower income tax cuts, not. So you wonder if this is a short-term fix for a long-term problem. And if the economy does completely slide off the rails, it's going to be on the backs of the middle class once again. Larry Kudlow, going back a little bit into the recovery story, because I think it's important. And I know a lot of uh, listeners have gone through a recovery process, and perhaps uh, someone is out there right now uh, dabbling a bit too much in the drugs and the booze. Hey, totally understandable. Uh, Life is not easy, and sometimes drugs and alcohol can help. But, of course, it can also have a negative effect as well. So Larry Kudlow, now the chief economic advisor, is an inspiration to millions of recovering addicts. The CNBC host has been sober for 23 years. He lost his job initially as chief economist at Bear Stearns and nearly lost his life. So what a turnaround. Kudlow spent five months in Hazelden after his wife Judith sued for divorce and sought a court order to prevent him from raiding his retirement account. Why did he want to raid his retirement account? Uh, Evidently to buy cocaine. So the guy was in deep uh, when it comes to drugs and alcohol, and he wanted Money for Coke. The couple reconciled when he got out and will celebrate their 32nd anniversary this year. Well, I think that's an important story, and I think it's important to remember you can change your life for the better. And now, heck, regardless if you like the Trump administration or not, you know me, I don't, I'm not a particular fan, uh, but what a success story. He ends up from uh, an addict to the White House. This is uh, according to Kudlow. He says, this was the end of the line. I was unemployable. My wonderful wife had stopped enabling me. Kudlow, who reinvented himself as a TV commentator, author, and newspaper columnist, regularly attends Alcoholic Anonymous meetings. He is a forceful advocate for increased spending on rehabilitation to help those who can't afford it. 
And, you know, I've talked about this a lot on this show when it comes to the opioid epidemic. I do not believe this is going to be an epidemic that can be that will be solved in the criminal justice field. We cannot incarcerate our way out of the opioid epidemic. Perhaps someone like Larry Kudlow in the ear of Donald Trump, who, of course, lost his brother to alcoholism, which I think has led to him having a disdain to some degree. And I'm, you know, I'm uh, I am uh, speculating there a disdain for people who do drink. That's my personal uh, speculation on Donald Trump. I think he looks at addicts as weak. He talks about it at a reg- on a regular basis uh, in that context. Perhaps Larry Kudlow, other than just being an economic advisor, can add a human face to addiction for Donald Trump. Uh, This is according to uh, Larry Kudlow. He told an audience, I needed long-term care and didn't have any money. I spent it on my addiction. Our producer, Christine, knows Larry quite well. You actually worked with him for years. I did. I I used to call Scream slash produce his uh, radio show on the weekends. What do you think about the appointment? What do you think about Larry? I think Larry is an amazing guy. Yeah. I think he's trustworthy. Good. Uh, He's open and honest. I mean, he was open about his past. I mean, he would talk about it all the time. We would talk about it. You know, he was completely reformed. Absolutely. Him and his wife were back together. And um, he's a free market guy. So I and he also stands by his convictions. So, yeah, he's going to disagree with Trump. But I think Trump. I mean, Larry's a New York guy. They probably go back years and years. Yeah, Larry Kudlow was saying that, that he had, they had, he had interviewed Donald Trump on a regular basis and uh, all of that stuff. So, yes, uh, one fellow conservative said, Larry has been so upfront about the issue, so public about it, and sober for decades. It's a non-issue. It and, really is. Yeah. And, you know, I saw yesterday, all of a sudden, people were trying to say, oh, yeah, I, you know, Trump's new appointment and his shady past. And I, I, I said, wait, what are you talking about? He is the most honest about it. Right, he will exactly. tell you immediately what he went through. And you can't, you know, there's just so many double standards on both sides of the aisle. But for me, this is a story of recovery and success, not a story of, oh, my God, the guy did some blow back in the day uh, and had a, drink, uh, had a drinking problem. He he worked his way out of it. And uh, and absolutely, I think that that is a, a um, benefit because, again, other than just the financial side, perhaps he really can humanize um, the face of addiction for Donald Trump. And we can try to make some positive headway on this opioid epidemic, which was, of course, which is, of course, the um, the massive issue facing our country right now. And you know what I always say? I think big pharmaceutical companies should be held accountable, just like uh, big tobacco companies. They gave over 40 million bucks to both sides, Democrats and Republicans over the years. So a lot of these politicians have been protecting Big Pharma for far, far too long. Um, all right, everyone, that is uh, Larry Kudlow, and uh, that's I think that's about it on the Kudlow uh, situation. All right, we'll take a quick break. I am Ben Kissel. We'll be right back. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel back here with you. Uh, as I was talking about Larry Kudlow being a recovering uh, drug addict and a man who is a success story. Uh, news broke that Donald Trump's opioid plan or plan to combat the opioid epidemic has been finalized. And my goodness, ladies and gentlemen, I think New York Magazine puts it perfectly here. They say, quote, rarely if ever has a policy proposal been this simultaneously encouraging and horrifying. The Trump administration is finalizing a long-awaited plan 
that it says will solve the opioid crisis, but it calls for law enforcement measures like, wait for this, right out of Duarte's Philippines, the death penalty for drug dealers. That public health advocates and congressional Republicans warn will detract from efforts to reverse the epidemic. I got to say, the death penalty for some drug dealers that's straight out of a uh, dictator country. I, I absolutely disagree with that approach. The ambitious plan, which the White House has quietly been circulating among political appointees this month, could be announced as soon as Monday when the president, Donald Trump, visits New Hampshire, a state devastated, by, way, by the way, uh, by the epidemic. It includes a mix of prevention and treatment measures that advocates have long endorsed, as well as beefed up enforcement in line with the president's frequent calls for a harsh crackdown on drug dealers and traffickers. Trump's plan to use the death penalty in some cases in some cases, found at least one fan among congressional Republicans. This dude out of New York, Representative Chris Collins, he's one of the uh, president's most consistent cheerleaders, said, quote, I'm all in on the capital punishment side for those offenses that would warrant that. He said, uh, when asked of the plans today, he said, yes, including drug cases. Yep. I, I cannot stress how ridiculous and wrong that is. And I hope that this doesn't derail the rational things that have to be done and uh, rational programs that need to be implemented when it comes to combating the opioid epidemic. We're not talking, when we talk about drug dealers, specifically in this case, we're not talking about some shady dude in a dark black trench coat in a dark alley, opening up his trench coat to reveal a series of needles and drugs. No, we're talking about a dude or a woman in a white lab coat in a doctor's office. The FDA has allowed uh, OxyContin to be sold to people or given to people as young as 12 years old. When we talk about this epidemic, we're not discussing uh, drug dealers in a traditional sense. We are discussing doctors over-prescribing. We are discussing uh, manufacturers and pharmaceutical companies making millions and millions, billions of dollars in profits because of these over-prescriptions. So this whole idea that we're going to find our way out of our drug issues, specifically with opioids, by the death penalty doesn't make any sense and that's the thing with this president i give him credit when credit is due and then there's always some part uh where i'm like what the heck is he thinking several congressional democrats said they were alarmed by trump's plan to ramp up punishment this is according to ed markey fellow out of uh, massachusetts he says we are still paying the cost for one failed war on drugs and now president trump is drawing up battle plans for another the war on drugs is horrible it was horrible it was predatory on people of color and it without a doubt did not stop any drug use we just have the reason we have 25 percent of the world's prison population and only five percent of the world's population is because of the drug war Marky continues on. He says, we will not incarcerate or execute. Now we have to add, before I didn't even realize this was going to come out, I was talking about Kudlow. I said, we, we're not going to incarcerate our way out of this problem. And now we have to add the word or execute our way out of the opioid epidemic. By the way, if, if you followed what's going on with these states that are trying to implement the death penalty, 
they don't they can't even get it right our our state our governments uh state governments and federal governments are so inept they can't even kill people the white house's most concrete proposal yet to address opioids comes after complaints from state health officials and advocates that trump has moved too slowly to combat the epidemic after his bold campaign promises to wipe out the crisis touching all parts of the country However, the plan could cost billions of dollars more than Trump budgeted and likely far more than any funding package that Congress would approve, raising questions about how much of it can actually be put into practice. Trump's uh, embrace of the death penalty for some drug dealers has alarmed some advocates who say the idea has been ineffective when tried in other countries and resurrects resurrects the nation's unsuccessful, unsuccessful, War on drugs. Oh, my goodness. We got a lot more to get to, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Ben Kissel. We'll be right back. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel back here with you. We're talking about the uh, new plan coming from the Trump administration to combat the opioid epidemic. And my goodness, there is one glaring error, in my personal opinion, 877-367-2526. That's 877 877- Three six seven two five two six. Feel free to call me. I'm not going to uh, be so kind with you on this one if you don't agree with me, because it is a horrible idea to execute drug dealers. By the way, Oklahoma, they are going to because they're so inept. Our state governments are so inept they can't even kill people. The state of Oklahoma is going to start using nitrogen gas to execute death row inmates. Well, the first time it's ever been done, might as well experiment like Mengele on human beings because, hey, they're on death row. So what does that mean? I guess we can be just as bad as them, huh? Donald Trump on Saturday said that China President Xi Jinping got him thinking about introducing the death penalty for drug dealers. Just think about that sentence and get rid of your uh, love or hate of Donald Trump. Just think about the sitting United States president saying, well, you know, the Chinese future dictator, because he just put himself into the Constitution, Xi Jinping, just made a constitutional change so that he will be in power for life. The sitting U.S. president is taking advice from this maniac. He said, quote, this is what he told the crowd who just clapped like a bunch of morons. Most of them know someone who uh, is having an issue with opioids. And zero understanding of the issue, evidently. He says, we watch a drug dealer, death penalty, that's it. We catch a drug dealer, death penalty, that's it. That is insane. That is so counterproductive. And again, look out, doctors. You're about to be murdered by the state. And a Pennsylvania rally for the U.S. uh, House candidate Rick Saccone, who obviously this did not go so well, who is expected to lose to Democrat Connor Lamb. Trump hailed Asian countries such as China and Singapore uh, for meting the death penalty to drug dealers. He told the crowd, it's a discussion. We have to start thinking about it. I don't know if this country is ready for it. No, we're not ready for it because it's moronic. Under the most recent version of this drug plan or opioid epidemic plan, 
uh, which has gone through several revisions, the Trump administration proposes to change how the government pays for opioid prescription to limit access to powerful painkillers. This is okay. It also calls on Congress to change how Medicaid pays for treatment, seeking to make it easier for patients with addictions to get inpatient care. It would also create a new Justice Department task force uh, that more aggressively monitors internet sales. The administration claims that will its plans will reduce opioid prescriptions by one-third within three years and that the initiative will fulfill Trump's campaign promise to, quote, stop opioid abuse. However, that's going to be a tall order. 64,000 folks in 2016 died because of an overdose, most involving opioids. That's according to the most that's according to the most recent data, the federal mortality data, the CDC, which, by the way, because of um, uh, legislation passed in the mid 90s, can't even research gun violence. The CDC last week reported that emergency rooms recorded a 30 percent spike in opioid overdoses last summer, indicating that the devastating crisis is worsening. Politico obtained two versions of the White House plan and spoke with four individuals who have reviewed it. The White House confirmed that a plan was in development, but didn't respond to multiple requests for further comment. Many of the measures in the plan were recommended by the president op- by the president's opioid commission last fall or discussed at a March 1st White House opioid summit. For instance, it endorses a long-promised priority greatly expanding first responders' access to nal- naloxone. I believe it. I have no idea. Naloxone? So let's play uh, Donald Trump here as soon as we get it up talking about this. A, uh, so basically... The expansion of this first responder drug, it's a medication used to reverse opioid uh, overdoses. This is wonderful. That's great. That's exactly what we need to have. It also calls on states to adopt a prescription drug monitoring database that healthcare providers can access nationwide to flag patients seeking out numerous opioid prescriptions. Uh, do we want to play that cut, Max? The only way to solve the drug problem is through toughness. When you catch a drug dealer, you got you to gotta put them away for a long time. When I was in China, and other places, by the way, I said, Mr. President, do you have a drug problem? No, 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 we do not. I said, huh, big country, 1.4 billion people, right? Not much of a drug problem. I said, what do you attribute that to? Well, uh, the death penalty. So, hey, if you're a drug dealer and you know you're going to get caught and you know that you're going to kill people, you're killing our kids. They're killing our kids. They're killing our kids. They're killing our families. They're killing our workers. So basically, uh, they're killing our kids. And a lot of these people, you know, again, with the fact that 12-year-olds can get prescribed opioids, a lot of what happens is these kids give it to friends, 13, 14, 15, 16-year-olds. Uh, they get a prescription. It's, you know, filled through the, through the roof. They have as many as they possibly want. And you're telling me that the kid gives some uh, opioids to his friends, gives some oxy to his friends. They overdose, and now that kid is possibly facing the death penalty. That's what this means. And also, China has a horrible, horrible heroin epidemic. Xi Jinping lied to him. That's what. Are you kidding me? 
the uh, China is huge. It has a massive, massive problem, first of all, with poverty that no one really talks about, and second of all, with heroin. So Xi Jinping played Trump like a fiddle, and then Donald Trump comes back and reports that, hey, they got a great idea over in China. There's no drug problems. Are you, are you kidding me? Donald Trump believes there's no drug problem in China. Singapore is another country. Uh, Donald Trump praising the leader of Singapore. I mean, you know, praising these strongmen, praising these, uh, again, now dictatorship over there in uh, in China as well. Duarte over there in the Philippines, the leader of the uh, the leader of Singapore. He praises these people uh, who have complete control over their uh, over their population and their population have no uh, democratic rights whatsoever. Let's play this clip here of Donald Trump praising the leader of Singapore. And again, ladies and gentlemen, I understand I might be talking to a lot of Trump supporters, but just think, you get rid of the name. A This is a president of the United States, and you can't agree. You just cannot agree with it. At a minimum, you have to give long, tough sentences. But if you go to Singapore, I said, Mr. President, what happens uh, with your drugs? No, we don't have a problem, President. I said, really, why? We have a zero tolerance. And he's not playing games. These guys don't play games. You know, we have a different type of people. They don't play games. I said, how are you doing on drugs? No problem. I said, what do you mean, no problem? And that's entertainment. You know, a lot of things are happening. I said, what do you mean, no problem? We have a zero tolerance policy. What does that mean? That means if we catch a drug dealer, death penalty. That's Absolutely stupid. And completely another another lie, of course, from the leader of Singapore. Uh, just as it is the Duarte over there in the Philippines, you got to watch the footage of what they're doing, these raids. The drug war didn't work. And no right-minded, conservative, libertarian-leaning uh, individual should imagine that it will work now. Because it's not going to. Senator Dan Sullivan, he's a Republican out of Alaska, says, quote, I would have to strongly evaluate and look at any proposal like that. He goes on to say, I don't know if the president was serious or just said it off the cuff. It's a big issue when when you decide to bring a capital case or pass a law that allows for capital punishment. According to language circulated this week, the Trump administration will call for the death penalty as an option in, quote, certain cases where opioid, including fentanyl-related, drug dealing and trafficking are directly responsible for death. When it comes to fentanyl, for example, right now you get five years incarcerated. Uh, You're incarcerated for five years if you're found with 40 grams. Uh, One of the proposals that Donald Trump has is to cut that to two grams and you will get five years incarcerated. So he wants to cut that dramatically. Now, I understand fentanyl is a very powerful drug. I was talking to a listener of my podcast, Abel Against Top App, uh, who is a person who works uh, in the um, in the ER. And he was saying how the small amounts of fentanyl that is required to cause uh, an overdose. So I get it. It's it's a dangerous thing. But again, The death penalty is not going to solve this, and incarceration is not going to solve this. What do you learn when you're incarcerated? How to be a better criminal. Senator Shelley Moore Capito, now she's a Republican out of West Virginia, whose home state is one of the hardest hit by the opioid epidemic. And keep in mind, he won West Virginia. Donald Trump won it by 40 points. So 
he is going to incarcerate his supporters. That's what's going to happen. All these people cheering at that rally, they don't even realize he's going to be incarcerating their children, incarcerating their parents, and possibly incarcerating them. She said this. This is, again, Senator Shelley Moore Capito out of uh, West Virginia. She says, I mean, I get the message he's delivering. We got to treat it seriously. But she goes on to say, I don't see that. I don't see that that's going to solve the problem. So Republicans are not on board whatsoever. We got some more sound from Donald Trump. Let's hear that. Or kill somebody. They go away for life and they can even get the death penalty, right? One person. They shoot one person, they get the death penalty. They shoot one person, kill some person, knife one person, the person dies. They get maybe the death penalty or maybe life in prison, no parole, right? Okay? A drug dealer will kill 2,000, 3,000, 5,000 people during the course of his or her life. Thousands of people are killed or their lives are destroyed, their families are destroyed. So you can kill thousands of people and go to jail for 30 days. They catch a drug dealer, they don't even put him in jail. Think of it. You kill one person, you get the death penalty in many states. Or you get life imprisonment. You, think of it. You kill 5,000 people with drugs because you're smuggling them in and you're making a lot of money and people are dying and they don't even put you in jail. They don't do anything. It's just not true. It's just simply not true. We incarcerate drug dealers at a rapid rate in this country. He is simply ill-informed on this issue that affects millions of his constituents. And that's what angers me so much about this. The White House is also backing new health ideas, such as calling for 75% of the opioid prescriptions reimbursed by government health programs like Medicare and Medicaid to be issued by using best practices within three years. That would be scaled up to 95% of prescription drugs in five years. It also calls on Congress to formally repeal a rule barring Medicaid payment to residential treatment for opioid addiction at large facilities, which could cost tens of of billions of dollars. The rule implemented about 50 years ago was meant to discourage mass institutionalization of people with mental illness, but states say it has been a barrier to addiction treatment. Some states under Obama and the Trump administration have received federal permission to waive the rule for substance abuse treatment. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's take another break here. This is our final break. I am Ben Kissel. We will be right back. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel back here with you. What a great show it's been. Thank you all so much for tuning in. All right, we're going to move on from the opioid epidemic and everything we've talked about here and talk about the light subject of divorce. Donald Trump Jr.'s wife has filed for divorce, folks. Love is still real. Don't worry about it. Uh, Vanessa Trump reportedly filed for divorce from her husband and the president's eldest son, Donald Trump Jr., today in New York City. It was first reported by the New York Post as page six today. The president's daughter-in-law filed in an uncontested proceeding in Manhattan Supreme Court, meaning she does not expect a legal legal battle, battle rather. Uh, over custody of their five children, 
or assets. Vanessa and Trump Jr. were married in 2005. Page 6 reported earlier this week that the couple has been struggling through marital problems. The White House has declined to comment to Fox News. The uh, the Trump uh, organization did not immediately respond to Fox News. Uh, last month, Vanessa was taken to the hospital after receiving a letter containing white powder that was later deemed to be non-hazardous. Of course, when you are in a position under the spotlight, when you're in the when you're in the political crosshairs, I can imagine that that is not the greatest uh, recipe for marital success. So it happens. Donald Trump Jr. I predicted on yesterday's show Melania was going to leave the Donald, but it turns out I was I was right a little bit. Donald Trump Jr. tweeted that he was, uh, quote, thankful that Vanessa and my children are safe. This is after uh, this is after the uh, letter was was mailed to their house, which, again, obviously very difficult to be in a political relationship, specifically uh, one that is uh, in these very hostile, hyper partisan times. He says, uh, thankful that Vanessa and my children are safe and unharmed after the incredibly scary situation that occurred this morning. Truly disgusting that certain individuals choose to express their opposing view with such disturbing behavior. Donald Trump Jr. ditched his Secret uh, Service detail for a period of time in September, reportedly because he wanted more privacy. Sources told Page Six that Vanessa is a private person, but his detail was reactivated about a week later. So if she's a private person, there's nothing private about being a Trump right now. They're the most known family in the world, maybe more known than the Kardashians. I I disagree with you. Really? Who's more known? I think the Kardashians are... Way more the known. Trump. We should do a poll on that. Who knows the Kardashians or Trump? Uh, that's oh, that's got to be close. It's got to be close. If you asked a most group- hated Kardashians or Trump. I just think that within a family, someone could identify more Kardashians than they could the Trump family. I would have to uh, concede that point. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. I am Ben Kissel. I'll be back here very soon to talk to you. Appreciate you. Talk to you soon. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 